everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today and as always by my my good friend, my my dear partner, my 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 Mr. Jason Neil Patrick Harris Johnston Yellen. <laughs> that is what you are. That is what I am. I am what I am, as the I... famous philosopher Popeye said. <laughs> I am what I am, 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 what I am. There we go. It's a Nilsson song. It's from the Popeye sure soundtrack. I have no doubt. <laughs> now, Pop, Popeye soundtrack, are we talking Robin Williams soundtrack? Oh, yeah. Robin Williams yeah, yeah, yeah. Popeye soundtrack? Oh, 100%. That whole soundtrack 100%. is phenomenal. That was a wild film. Really wild. I was probably too young to be watching it because it made my brain hurt. Yeah, I I remember loving it as a kid, but I remember it being kind of odd, like very odd. Like it's like it's one of those movies that they were like, okay, the the adults have to love this too, and they have to be on mushrooms while they're loving it. Yeah, yeah. Robin Williams, here is your wheelbarrow full of coke for the day. Go make cinema. <laughs> Was he on coke? Was he a cokehead? Oh, very much so, yeah, by his own admission. Yeah, I I, I just thought he was, you know, very eccentric. <laughs> you know, some some people... Uh, uh, some you know, like, people. Like, take, take Frank Zappa, for instance. Everybody assumed that he was a massive druggie, and he was, <laughs> he was quite outspoken against the use of drugs. He smoked cigarettes and drank coffee. That, those were his drugs. So, oh, the worst. The, the worst, worst drugs. The worst. <laughs> so that's why, you know, I wonder if I wondered if uh, Robin Williams was one of those that people assumed had taken drugs but never really had. He was just a more no, he eccentric. Was, he was much more the fellow where you would say, what is this guy on? And the answer was cocaine. <laughs> I like the way you say cocaine. It's not cocaine, it's cocaine. 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 <laughs> it's cracking. Cracking cocaine. Is it, <laughs> it's real cracking. Is it my cocaine? My cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, those glasses on, that really completes your impression. My name is my cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love watching Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon in the trip go back and forth and oh saying, like, gosh. no, it's not it's not that high in the nose. No, no, no. No, no, no. It's, it's lower. No, no, no. It's, no, it's farther back. It's farther back. And Steve Coogan just hates Rob Brydon's Michael Caine impression. Just hates it. He hates it. it. He hates um, it. <laughs> but it's excellent. Uh, They're both excellent. For, for They're both I, wonderful. I love the way Coogan sort of brings it down. He sort of does Michael Caine across the... Across right? the decades, and then finally exactly. gets to sad Michael Caine. <laughs> <laughs> she was just a uh, girl. So, yeah. so since since we're on a on a little film dive here, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't. Last episode we did the the live podcast from Westland. It was a ton of fun, oh, man. but Excellent. we didn't have an intro. We didn't have an outro, so I didn't have a place mm-hmm. to tell you. And and the episode before, I don't think it had happened yet, but. The breaking news in this film dive uh, moment is a few weeks ago, I showed my 16-year-old oh. The Big Lebowski for the first time. 
Hey. And I and I said to him, I said, look, his his brother was out somewhere, maybe at an overnight with a friend. Yep. And I I said to Kai, my 16-year-old, I said, okay, you pick a movie. That's the one we'll watch. Yeah. And uh, he said, how about The Big Lebowski? Since wow. obviously I talk about it all the time. And... And I said, listen, I, I have no issue with that. Yeah. But understand, you can only watch it for the first time once. Mm. And after this, you will live in a world where you have seen The Big Lebowski for the first time. And, and the anticipation <laughs> of that will be gone. And he said, no, I, I understand. I understand. I said, okay. Okay. Also... Mm-hmm. Prepare to not like it, because <laughs> oh really? Oh interesting. Okay, because it's it's a slow burner, right? I've I, I've literally watched it three times in the last four weeks. Okay, and <laughs> and it's it's a slow burner. If you're 16 and you're used to watching the trailer for a film before you watch oh, it, and yeah. you know all the highs, and you know all the lows, mm-hmm. and you know the emotional beats, and then you step into this, you know weird late 90s film that's set in the early 90s right mm-hmm. the uh the conflict uh with saddam and you know it, it it's got drugs and it's got boobs and it's got feminists and it's got mm-hmm. artists and it's mm-hmm. got nihilists Ni- i was just gonna say nihilists yeah you know it's it's got it, it's got a lot of things and they, they kind of come at you. And mm-hmm. so I, I kind of kept a close eye on him as he was watching. I kept kind of, you know, surreptitiously glancing at him. And <laughs> and there were times he would look back at me like, what is going on in this movie? As a young man who enjoys his, his carpentry, um, the carpentry humor really worked for him. Uh, his absolute highlight of the movie, and, and hopefully I'm not, I'm not giving away spoilers. Twenty five years after the release of Big Lebowski, <laughs> but when when the dude hammers in the the two by four, oh, yeah, hammers into his floor and puts, <laughs> and puts the chair against it so they can't open the door again, and then whoever it is comes to the door and opens the door outwards. Yeah. Uh, and the chair falls out the stairs. Kai thought that was hilarious. <laughs> um, it was rug pissers. Right, yeah. right. And then later on, uh, yeah. when the dude walks back into his apartment and forgets it's there and trips over it in the dark, <laughs> Kai found that hilarious. So, yes, the, the physical uh, humour, the eyeball humour really worked for him. Um, okay. And when we got to the end of it, I said, so, so what did you think of it? And he said, oh, I didn't hate it, <laughs> which for a 16-year-old is kind of high praise indeed. Yeah. And so he didn't hate it. And his mom had piped in and said, look, it rewards future viewings. So yes. this is yeah. first of many times you will watch this movie. Huh. Um, and so, so, yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't against watching it again in the future and starting to add to his own okay. Lebowski I mean- experience. You know, I I remember watching it in 98 with my dad. I was 25. He was whatever age he was. He was 48 at the time. And, uh, and you know, you, you, as a 25-year-old, you have lived through that period of the 90s that is being shown on, on the screen. Sure. And, of course, 
movies are shot differently back then and dialogue is different back then and mm-hmm. and I you know I remember being slackjaw watching that film just like <laughs> this is incredible from like scene to scene to scene to scene and it was wild and weird and wonderful and just invited viewing after viewing after viewing and but <laughs> Here we are, far into the future, where the 16-year-old has only read about some of this stuff and has only heard about his dad saying all the good things. And Yeah, it's, I, I haven't shown my kids. I shouldn't say that. I tried showing one of the opener, one of the opening scenes to Delma, and she's like, I, I, I don't understand why this is funny. And I'm like, but, but, but they're on the There's screen. There's a man. Yeah, man. Yeah. Not a not a bright man. And not not a good man. <laughs> you guys like, why is he still talking? Yeah, I know. Like, why is this going? The tumbleweed like, just keeps on going with <laughs> Oh man. I, I will say though, I, I, in another another couple of days later, we were talking about something else again back on mm. back on movies. Mm-hmm. And he was like we need to watch The Hateful Eight again. Oh, like, yeah. t- talking about rewatching there movies. He was like, we we have to watch that again. And we have to show that to Zev, yeah. who's 13. Like, okay. we have to show that to Zev. I'm like, all right, you don't think Zev's going to be painfully bored? He's like, mm, no, because Kai wasn't painfully bored. Yeah. So, and we were saying, yeah. like, you know, there's a few violent moments, but, you know. It's fine otherwise. Can I tell you something about the Hateful Eight? Someone someone shared this. How should I say this? Some, someone had shared their opinion on it. It wasn't an opinion. It was more, ah, jeez, I can't even think of the words. I think I need more coffee. But someone said something about the Hateful Eight that once they <laughs> said it, once they uh-huh. said it, I can't unsee what they described to me. Okay. Okay. I'm willing to risk it. The Hateful Eight is merely reservoir dogs with a different skin on it. <laughs> it's the same premise. It's the it's the who's the rat. It's you know, and it's it's the that whole build up until you find out who is that rat. Sure, sure. A bit of genre hopping with a yeah, with a similar genre premise. hopping, but the same same story. Yeah, doesn't make it a that. lesser I'm, I'm film. I'm totally down but, with that. Yeah. yeah, 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 totally down with that. Yeah, yeah. I think I always said about Reservoir Dogs that it was a it was a theater production brought mm. to film, and and mm. I felt like Hateful Eight was exploring what film can do for film in terms of the way it was shot. And one of the things when Kai and I had watched it for the first time, he and I talked a lot about key shots as they were happening, as Mm -hmm. we were watching them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I felt like if you are going to take this Reservoir Dogs with a different skin, I think it's also, even if you take it the heart of a a similar premise, shot wildly differently, not just time, not just place. But even the use of widescreen yeah, and sure. overheads and the way the snow and the and, and the blood in that case um, <laughs> is all shot. But yeah, I I think the hateful eight is 
is incredible. I absolutely oh, it's a masterpiece. Love it. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. it. It it's moved up a a slot in my line of you know top nine Tarantino films, and it just it gets better. You and better love ranking you. things. I do. You're I do. You're such like a ranker. Things. That's wild. <laughs> there's a lot of ranker with this ranker. We do it with whiskey. Why can't we do it with movies? Do you and I rank whiskeys? <laughs> we, we didn't even rank. We didn't even rank the ones we just put in our top tens. We purposely said these are in no particular order. We're just presenting. We five say that it's in each. no particular order, but we definitely segregate out these five to ten whiskeys from the rest of the whiskeys that that we've sampled so while we're not attaching a specific number to that final smaller list they are held above the others so there is a ranking i think they're held differently i wouldn't say above i would say differently i think they're held differently uh see i i i view it as uh, above but even our rules were specifically saying these are affordable these are available these are on shelves we didn't say the liquid in here is above other liquids that yeah, we would okay. select. Yeah, you're right. I'm I'm conflating two things. I'm I'm conflating what our top five, top ten list is with our whiskeys of the year list, which I guess I shouldn't ah, be doing. Yeah. Ah, which I'm getting which? close, man. <laughs> I am getting close. <laughs> Holy cow. I've tasted said, some which? charmers. <laughs> I like how we both identified that at the exact same moment, which uh, we have been working on. So, yep, yep. I've been, I think about that on every drive and every plane ride. I think Mm -hmm. about that. Mm How is this coming together this year? Getting there, getting there. I've got the non SCNs. Um, The SCNs still, still an open war. No, I, I think I, we're getting damn close. It's between two right now for my SCN, and it's between three for my non-SCN. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have, I have both winner and honorable mention for the non-SCN. Okay. okay. Oh, wow. Which is what we've done previously. No, I, no, I, 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 know. <laughs> I know. I'm just, you know, I'm looking at the, the calendar, and here we are recording on... Uh, the 21st of November, there's still, you know, a month and a week remaining of the year. So, you know, who knows what else you may taste in the next few yeah, weeks. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. I'm off booze. <laughs> it's not a thing I do anymore. <laughs> Cutting to later in today's episode. Well, speaking of today's episode, should we talk about our guest? I think that's probably a good idea. <laughs> Yeah, I'm excited to be talking with with Matt Johns, who who he and his wife Celine Johns founded the Pocono Distillery in in New Zealand. And I, you know, I, I pause there simply because some people say Pocino, and that is dead wrong. And my shorthand for the pronunciation of the distillery, I think of the Poconos, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and so I say Pocono, but I. But even that's slightly wrong. It's like Pocono, Pocono. I think. Yeah, there's there's a there's there's a step in it that yeah. I'm not confident about. Yeah, yeah. But you know, so here we are talking about Kiwi whiskey. You know, single malt from New Zealand. We had one other conversation 
um, with our friends from the Wahiki Distillery. Indeed. Uh, including Colin of the Pluralized Mares. That, that was a wonderful conversation. Indeed. Yeah, what were your takeaways in, in speaking with Matt about the Pocino Distillery? I, I was more surprised by his history in this industry. Mm. You know, I, I feel like we hear about new distilleries and we hear about countries adding on to their new distilleries. And, and, I, and I, I just feel like, you know, obviously, everybody has a, has a backstory, but I often think people are coming from different industries to then open their own. Mm, and mm-hmm. to hear of somebody deeply entrenched uh, in global brands yeah. who then set out to start their own distillery. Mm-hmm. Like that's a huge step. When you know how it can be done at Glenmorangie and, and you know how it can be done at Tullabarden, mm-hmm. then then you yeah. you know, then you're looking at this like all right, we can't be just a small <laughs> mom and pop doing the best we can. Like yeah. He knows what the best can look like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's what they set out to do. So, yeah, that, that, was, that was really the most surprising part to me. Obviously, as our, as our listeners will, will listen along here, I love hearing about the use of, of New Zealand barley, uh, the use of New Zealand wood, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, the, the way they've added on their own... <laughs> their own need for coopering on site or, or, or even talking the logistics, right? It's, it's the boring stuff for me as well. Right. It's yeah. How do you, how do you move casts around the world? How do you repair a cast that's come to you when you're miles away from everyone and everything? And that's the bit that I was going to say is, is, you know, here's, here's a guy who's been in the industry for years and it was within an industry that has an infrastructure in place that, you know, w- you could almost take for granted all the things you have at your disposal, whether it's liquid to trade or coopers around or mm-hmm. uh, forsyths up the road to, to help repair your, your stills and, and so on. And then you, you know, you, you move your family to New Zealand where none of that infrastructure exists. Yeah. And yep. so, you know, thank God he's got all of that experience to to know what he needs, um, but then has to has to build it along the way. So, you know, hopefully it not only helps Pocono Distillery, but that they could be a bit of a guiding light for other distilleries as they pop up and, and grow, too, because, it, yeah. you know, I, I've tasted the liquid. It's clear they're doing things the right way and um yeah it's a distillery that i'm i'm definitely excited about and that's not me saying that with my impex hat on that's just me as a as a whiskey lover uh i think they're doing remarkable stuff there yeah i think you and i've talked about it previously we've got a listenership down there but but the australian and new zealand scene is of huge interest to us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're watching a number of distilleries down there and building a number of friendships down there. Mm-hmm. And it, 
it's another exciting corner of the world that's working on a whiskey industry. Yeah, it's really excellent. So yeah. uh, I would say without further ado, Mr. Matt Johns. Matt, thanks for joining us from New Zealand today. It's a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure being here. Uh, to be clear, it is just after 8am for you in New Zealand. And, it is, and we're sitting yeah. here at a lazy three in the afternoon. So I won't be joining you for whiskey. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you believe we drink whiskey at three o'clock in the afternoon because you, sir, are correct <laughs> we, we were talking beforehand here before we hit all the record buttons and we had reached a little point in our intro where you were talking about being a part of Tullibarden for a decent number of years you said 15, one, five years at Tullibarden. Can you tell us a bit more about that to get us started? Yeah, I think, you know, I've, I've spent a long time in the in the Scotch whisky industry. Um, so probably I, I joined the Scotch whisky industry in 2000, ooh, 1997 it was, a long time ago. <laughs> 1997. How does time work? <laughs> How time works a long time. Um, kind of a long kind of nine, ten year period with Glenmorangie. Um, and yeah, I kind of uh, was heavily involved in running Tullibarden from kind of 2000 and I was involved with Telebarden since 2008. Um, the company I've done a lot of work with um, acquired the distillery in 2011 and I kind of mm. basically been run, running it from 2011 up until I'm kind of still a bit involved today, but uh, I'm gradually, <laughs> gra gra gradually, pulling, gradually pulling back from it. I have, I have a day job and a hobby and the hobby's taken over my day job. <laughs> so... So when you say running it, can you put some leaves on those branches for us? Were you were you on site? Was it the sales side? Was it production side? Like, yeah, no, what, I mean, I've got, what I've, did I've, running I've, it look like? Yeah, I think my 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 past experience for the last um, kind of 11, 11, oh God, it's even longer than that now. Um, it's a very complicated story. I'm going to try and resume this in a way that makes sense and doesn't take the whole podcast. Oh, okay. Um, so, so in two, I was at Glenmorangie in two thousand and seven. Obviously, um, Glenmorangie sold to Mert Hennessy. Um, mm -hmm. So, two thousand and seven. That was two thousand and five. The actual sale went through because I did two years at Mert Hennessy, and then in two thousand and seven, Glenmorangie divested um, Glen Murray. Um, divested mm -hmm. their blended brands, divested the Broxburn bottling facility, etc., and the rest of it. Um, mm. And at the time, Glenmorangie was in a joint venture with a French wine and spirits company um, for bottling of Scotch whiskies for French supermarkets, etc., and various various other stuff. Um, and I was kind of okay. running that running that joint venture at the time as well. Um, with Mert Hennessy coming on board, I did two, two years within Mert Hennessy. After the two, two and a half years, decided that I probably wasn't a corporate monster and probably did need, <laughs> did, did need to move on. Didn't want to go and run Mert Hennessy China. Um, so, so at that kind of thing, decided to, decided to exit. Um, but at the same time, the French Wine and Spirits Group was looking for somebody to run their spirits, their spirits division. This was in 2007. So I kind of went over and ran their spirits division for basically 15 years 
And as part of that spirits tradition, we made we made various acquisitions, um, and those acquisitions included Tullavadan Distillery, included Louis White Cognac, included Savannah Rum in the Indian Ocean, etc., and the rest of it. Um, so I've been running that global spirits division um, as a main board director since two thousand and seven. Oh wow! Uh, and I'm actually exiting from that at the end of this year. So hence, 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 why there's been a bit of a balance period on that. So, so running running Telebardin, <laughs> running Telebardin means kind of uh, from an inventory point of view, distillation programs, brand development, marketing, commercial, you name it. So, my gosh! So, so let me see if I can get this right. So you're an Englishman running Scottish brands slash distilleries from France who moved to New Zealand with a French wife. Yes, basically. This is like a Benetton commercial. And, 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 we're, now, and we're now full-blown Kiwis as well. So how, how great is that? Oh, there you oh, go. Wow. <laughs> oh, so, so I have to ask, as, as somebody who moved across an ocean, and it, it was something of a big deal, you moved hemispheres. What, mm. what was the move like from, from Europe to New Zealand? I think the move, the move for us was motivated by a number of things. At the start, the move was not supposed to be moved. My brother's been over here for 25 years. He was getting married in 2013 to his Kiwi wife. Um, he said, come over for the wedding. We went, oh, God, New Zealand. We've been there twice already on holiday. It's a long way to go. Um, at the time, we were living in France. I was traveling constantly. So the kids spoke almost no English because myself and my wife oh, okay. always spoke uh, spoken French together. Um, and it was kind of, you know, why don't we go for a family adventure for six months to New Zealand, put the kids into an English-speaking school, I can stop travelling for six months, I can run the business from New Zealand. Sounds like a great plan. <laughs> and it was a great plan, but New Zealand is so great that we never kind of made it back. So after, wow. after, after, after six months, the kids went, yeah, we love it here, can we stay? And Celine was going, it's really cool here, you're not travelling anymore, so it'd be really good if we could stay as well. And I went, yeah, this is going to be easy, um, but yeah, okay, we'll stay. And so from 2013 to 2019, I was traveling back to Scotland and Europe every 10 weeks from New Zealand. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It was like a commuter bus. This is going to sound awful to to everybody, but for me, my lifesaver was COVID. Um, simply, simply because I couldn't travel anymore. It was, it was, you know, and Zoom yeah. came in, and all business was done by Zoom. And I think for, for me, that was start the start of the process for me exiting all the European businesses was was really that moment was that moment in time kind of thing, to say actually traveling is no longer on the cards. It's it's wow. it's okay it's okay to manage a business um, from the other side of the ocean if you're going back every ten weeks. If you're not going back at all, it's very, very difficult. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of the story and the decision to. We're now what ten years in, full blown Kiwis, and absolutely loving it. Wow. That's awesome, man! Wow, talk about an advert for New Zealand. That's it. <laughs> but still that's very wonderful. attached, very attached to Scotland. I still go back a couple of times a year. Sure, sure, yeah. I try to get back a couple of times myself. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what about your time with Glenn Morangi and and Tulla Barden? Do you feel helped inform your decisions to to build Pocono, to grow Pocono, to you know, to maybe design some of the liquid there? How did that help you as you were looking to launch all that? I, th- I think, you know, after, after what was, you know, 20, 20 odd years in the industry when I decided to, to build Pocono kind of thing, for me, it was a culmination of everything. 
Um, mm. So I'd gone through the process of working for a whiskey company, running a whiskey company, owning a cask business in Scotland, which I, I kind of sold last year as well. Um, mm. And I kind of, the only thing I'd not done was build a distillery. Um, and I think when we when we moved to when we moved to New Zealand, it was kind you're of, just ticking boxes. This is the I'm next thing. Boxes. Okay, I guess I got to do a distillery. But I think I think it was yeah. We, when we came to New Zealand, there were two things. I think one, once we decided to stay, we knew that it wasn't going to be sustainable running businesses in Europe mm. from New Zealand. That was clear. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm 51 now. You can only travel <laughs> zones so much before you get tired and tired and tired. Um, and I think you know it, it was okay. We want to do something in New Zealand. We don't want to be one of these people who just move here and live in New Zealand and don't give anything back uh, so we wanted to create something over here that was the first thing and then the second thing was well okay what do we know how to create well the actually only thing i know how to do anymore is whiskey um <laughs> so if we're going to do some going to do something and you know new zealand is you know it, it's scotland on steroids you know it's got it's got higher mountains it's got purer water it's got it's got a fantastic climate for maturation you kind of go well when we decided to do this there was no whiskey so you kind of go well, hold mm. on a second why is there no whiskey so how do we go about trying to put New Zealand on the map as a whiskey producing nation? And that was the underlying kind of, you know, desire to, to do that. Uh, so we kind of went about, yeah, we went about saying, okay, this is a project we want to get into. Um, the project took a long, long time to put together. We, we took the decision to do this back in 2014. Um, didn't actually start the build mm -hmm. until 2017. And the, re the reason for that is that there was, as there were no distillers, um, there was mm. no infrastructure, there was no legislation. And yeah, mm. we've got this great saying in New Zealand, she'll be sweet, um, but I'm not <laughs> going to go and buy a multi, build a multi-million dollar distillery on the basis of she'll be sweet. Um, so we did a lot, <laughs> lot of work with the, the legislative bodies, work safe, people like that, etc., to really understand what was going to be expected. And the first time we went to these guys and said, you know, we're going to build a distillery, what do you expect? They were like, we don't know. And we kind of go, no, that's, that's not the right answer. Um, <laughs> so we did a lot of work with them to say, okay, before we actually go into this project, we want to understand what you're going to be looking for. So in 10 years' time, you're not coming back to us and saying, well, what you've done is wrong. You've got to take your distillery apart and rebuild it again. So that took a good two, two and a half years to do that. And it was well worthwhile. I mean, today we serve as a test distillery for them um, when they've got their, their hazardous goods people, et cetera, coming in saying, we've got a distillery who wants to build. They go, go and see Pocono. That's exactly what we want. That's what, that's what's okay. required, etc., and the rest of it. And so for us, that was, that was. I'm very kind of methodical in what I do, um, and so that took a long time. So we didn't actually start the distillery build until 2017, and then commissioning 2018. I'm I'm going to put the cart before the horse here, but given the way you're talking about, there was no whiskey in 2014 on New Zealand yeah. when you had this idea. And then you go through the kind of the, the ramifications of actually building. I'm now reading about the the New Zealand Whiskey Association. Yes. And and this idea of you you want to take charge of what is New Zealand whiskey? What's in New Zealand whiskey? Can you talk about how that association came together? And then we'll back it up and start talking about your whiskey. But, yeah, I think but it's what, good. It's was, interesting. what was the impetus with the association? It's, it's interesting, and that gives a good kind of introduction lead into what, what New Zealand whiskey is kind of thing, which is, which is cool. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I say there was no New Zealand whiskey in 2014. I suppose I'm being, I'm being kind there because there was a little bit of New Zealand whiskey. Um, the history of New Zealand whiskey is that there was a distillery which was down in Dunedin. Um, in the 1990s 
Um, that was bought by Seagrams in, I think it was 91 or 92. They mothballed the distillery, um, sent the stills to Fiji to, um, to make some gin. Um, uh-huh. And basically, there's a remaining amount of stock which was locked up in an aircraft hangar. Um, and that stock was owned, was owned by a family who then went bankrupt, I believe, in 2006 or seven. Um, and that stock was bought by a Tasmanian entrepreneur um, who then formed a company mm. called the New Zealand Whiskey Collection, um, uh, who, over, yeah. who over the last uh, 10 years has been bottling out that old Dunedin stock mm-hmm. from the 1990s as, as yep. kind of New, as New Zealand whiskey. Um, there was also a very, very small craft distiller called Matt Thompson, who's still around today, who's a fantastic guy and is you know, the first person. He was bottling some of the New Zealand whiskey collection stock, saw it was getting to an end and put a couple of small stills in in 2013, I think it was. So 13, 14, he started making. The thing about New Zealand, it's one of the only countries in the world you can make whiskey in your garage legally. So it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a big <laughs> distillery. You can have a lot of small distilleries, which is great for innovation, etc., and the rest of it. Um, so Matt Thompson's been around probably for for the first one, and he does a great job today. Still, he makes he makes some really good whiskey. Um, then you had Cardrona Distillery, which started in two thousand and fifteen. Um, okay. They're okay. a distillery down in the South Island, making a mixture of vodka, gins, liqueurs, and and whiskey. Um, they've just been bought by Tybev. Um, that was announced uh, mm. about a month ago. They've been bought by Tybev. Um, and then, yeah, we, we, built, we built in 2017. Um, and then there was a very, very small distillery on Waiheke. Josh, I think you know Mark, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Guys, we had them on the podcast. Yeah, you've had them on yeah. the podcast, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Mark, Mark, Mark started distilling in a 50-litre still or something like that, a 50 or 100-litre <laughs> still or something like that on Waiheke. Um, so they're just building a really nice distillery over on the island at the at the moment, and they're going to start distilling at the end of this year or the or the start of next year. So that they're they're going to have some volume coming through in four or five years' time. So so there's a few exciting things going on in the industry at the moment in New Zealand. But hmm. if you put the total distillation of the New Zealand whiskey industry together today, you're still not the size of a small Scottish distillery. So you've got to kind yeah. of put, you've got to put yeah. that into perspective. I mean, we're by far the largest distillery. And our, our capacity is, is a quarter of a million litres. Hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's still tiny. Small. It's, yeah, very small. It's, it's, it really is. So. So, it's, so it's the start. So answer your question about the, the association, I think that we, we got together. We'd been having this unofficial chats between a few of the, the kind of distillers, myself, Matt Thompson, Cardrona and, uh, and Waiheke. Um, and we kind of been going, well, hold on a second. Look, there's more and more small distilleries starting up here. And the small distilleries may be 50 litre stills, 100 litre stills, etc. And the rest of it. And it, it there, there, there's really nobody apart from ourselves who are going overseas international at the moment. But it was more about the New Zealand market. It was saying, hold on a second. We've got all these little gin distilleries who are starting to make whiskey. Um, we want to make sure they're doing it properly. Because for mm. the New Zealand consumer, we want the New Zealand consumer to associate a New Zealand whiskey with a quality product, with something mm. which you know, they can have respect for. And the only way to do that and to ensure that the products we're going into the market is to create some sort of legislation around the distillation rules. Because otherwise, mm. New, New Zealand sure. being a very kind of open market, leaving room for ingenuity and key ingenuity, which is great. But we wanted to make sure that what the whiskies which are coming onto the market were good. So people aren't, aren't drinking whiskey going, yeah. what is this? Um, yeah, parameters so yeah, so are we, important. So we, 
parameters are important. So we, we put in together quite a tight framework, probably a tighter framework than a lot of countries because, you know, we specified copper pot stills, we, we specified stuff like that to make sure that things were being done properly. Um, the thing that we did leave open for, for a little bit of kind of, you know, um, ingenuity and uh, diversification was the casks. Um, so we said we specified wooden casks rather than, rather than oak casks. Um, so that, that was a framework that we, that we kind of wrote. We got the rules kind of incorporated into the Spirits Association over here. They're not officially legislation yet because we've got to find a way of working that kind of framework through to legislation with the government. Um, but that's the next thing on the, on the agenda for the next couple of years kind of thing. But it's, it's more, I'd say it's more today a, a kind of a, an unofficial association of the key distillers working together to try and ensure that what's coming out of New Zealand is, is good. It's interesting, in, in listening to you talk there, did you find yourself walking a fine line between, okay, you're a gin producer making whiskey and we, this group of whiskey producers, are going to suggest to you how you do that? Or was the feedback more, this is best for New Zealand if we're all on the same page? How did you find that type I of conversation? I think there's always there's always going to be a little bit of everything, um, and you know because we we've, we've not got uh, an official status either, it's often <laughs> quite quite difficult to have someone say, "Who are you to tell me yeah. what I should do?" Exactly, um, exactly. <laughs> so so that, that's that's obviously not not always easy, and I think you know again, you know we are the Pocono is the only focused single malt distillery in New Zealand. All of the other mm -hmm. distillers of whiskey and making gins <laughs> so, so you know it's we're the only people only making only making whiskey so so maybe we can have a different opinion than other people as well but i think you know globally over here there is a desire from everybody to do things properly um and we just wanted to make sure that you know uh, the, the key distillers have invested a lot of money into doing things properly and we just wanted to make sure that and, it, and it's not about telling people what to do it's, it's about mm -hmm. just ensuring mm -hmm. that we want New Zealand spirits and New Zealand whiskey to have a good reputation. We want you know, a consumer from the Americas, a consumer from anywhere to, to taste New Zealand whiskey and go, this is fantastic liquid. And yeah, the only way yeah, of doing man. that is putting some parameters into place. Yeah. Did you see that little episode that happened in Australia a couple of months ago, a few months ago, yeah. where you know they were trying to get their association to get yeah. some parameters in place? And yeah. it, it got a little controversial. It looks like it was... It was the solution came about quite easily, I think. Um, and I, again, was built on the backs of what are we telling consumers? How are we protecting consumers? How are we making this the best product we can be uh, and using terminology that's trusted by consumers? Um, I feel like that's a nice way to kind of get... It's a nice way in. to do it. And I think it's what, what we've done over here as well is that we've, the larger distillers, we're, we've been very good about opening up as well to the smaller distillers to, to say, look, guys, come, come and see us. Come and have a chat. Come and have a look at what we're doing. What are you looking for? You can't get casks. That's fine. We'll help you get some casks. You can't get this. Cool. This is what we can do. We can, so we're trying as well at the same time to have almost a kind of educational thing about it as well at the same time to say, yeah, th this is what we want to put in place. This is why we want to put it in place. But we're absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely willing to help you as well. It's not, it's not something which we're, yeah. Nice one. I, I'm excited to ask you about casts, but I'm going to let Joshua ask about production first, or whatever he wants to ask about. <laughs> well, I, I want, I want to bring it back again to, to your time with, well, in a way, I'm going to connect it back to your time with Glenmorangie because, 
tasting Pocono and sharing Pocono with people, you know, full disclosure, I'm a Glen Morangy fanatic. I, I love their spirit. I think it's I think it's so beautiful. I. I think the right the, <laughs> the fruity character is just so so pretty. The you know, peach and grapefruit and just just all these gorgeous flavors. And and when I talk with people about Pocono, I quite often make a comparison to Glen Morangy from that from that fruity standpoint. However, the texture of your liquid is like four times more viscous than than what we experience with Glenmorangie. And so again, back to my question of how did your time with with Tullibarden and maybe Glenmorangie inform your production at Pocono? Did it inform that? Was that a profile you, profile you liked and wanted to expand upon with Pocono or or was it something else that brought you to that flavor profile? No, it's a really good question. I mean, yeah, I think we're, we're all the same when we spend a long time in the industry. We've all got our, our favorite style of whiskey. Um, yeah. Obviously, you know, 10 years with Glenrongi influenced the type of whiskeys I like um, and the type of whiskeys I don't like. I'm not an Ardbeg fan. But I think for me, I love my sweet, smooth whiskeys and, and I always mm. have. Um, so, so I think the way Glenmorangie would have influenced me is is my style of whiskey that I enjoy drinking myself is is sweet yeah. and smooth whiskies and fruity whiskies. So if I'm going to go and make a whiskey, then I'm going to make a whiskey that I enjoy. So I, I I did set out wanting to make a very very sweet, a very very smooth, and a very fruity whiskey. That was that was exactly what I wanted to do with the profile of Pocono. Not copying and imitating a Glenmorangie, but I wanted to make yeah. a fruity a fruity sweet style whiskey. So of course of course there was an influence which was which was there. Um, when we set about it, we then designed all of the kit in the in the distillery. Um, around making that you know, a sweet and smooth whiskey. Now, now, what whiskey we were actually going to get out until we started playing with the kit, we didn't, we didn't know. You know, hmm. you never know. You never know, kind of thing. How's the how's the climate? How's the terroir? How's the barley? How's the water? How how's everything going to affect it, kind of thing. Um, and, and yeah, so I mean, the process, and we can talk a bit this bit more about this later on, is that the you know, everything we've done in the process is designed around sweetening and smoothening that that whiskey to a maximum extent. Whether it's the you know the long circulation of the wort, whether it's the slow transfers between the vessels, whether it's the long fermentation, whether it's the long still rest with the doors open, where it's the crazy slow distillation, it's, it's everything <laughs> that we've done to kind of you know to, to allow us to get that sweet and sweet and fruity whiskey. Yeah. All right. All right. So let's let's pick this apart just a little bit. Yep. All right. Let let's can we can we start with the barley and and I think it's important too, right? Because this talks a bit to some of the regulations that you're you're looking to put in place for what New Zealand whiskey must be. So mm. can you talk about the the barley, the the mashing and the fermentation, and just take yeah. us through how we're getting to this final delicious product? Yeah. So with the barley, so we use kind of 100% New Zealand barley. Um, yeah. There's two there's two barley providers in New Zealand today, both from the South Island. Um, so that's the, that's where the, the 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 climate's the best for for growing the barley. Um, the barley strain that's grown in New Zealand as a distiller's malt tends to be Laureate. 
So it's the Laureate okay. barley that we, that we use. Um, what we have noticed, and it's something which is really interesting, I was having a chat with Dave Broom about this when he was over last time kind of thing, mm. is, that, is, is that we seem to get this, we get a lot sweeter barley in New Zealand than you would, for example, in Scotland. And it's obviously to do with the terroir, the growing conditions, etc. If you grow Laureate over here compared to Laureate grown in Scotland, it's a lot sweeter. And I think that 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 all, that initially already helps with the sweet, sweet nature of the whiskies, um, huh. um, and and, and, it's, and it, you know don't ask me why you know it's the terroir, the climate, the ground conditions. It's you know it's a very dry, it's very it's very humid, it's yeah. very it's very hot, it's very I, I don't know. I'm not a I'm not does a that scientist. Does increase your I'm not a, yield? Not a farmer. Like no, it, is it more it, available no. fermentable sugars? No, or? no, no, it doesn't. No, so okay. I'll, I'll, gra- I'll grab I'll grab it is we will sit around one oh six oh. 1058, 1060. So it's pretty, pretty similar to what we'd achieve in, in Scotland, kind of thing. Okay. Our yield, okay. our yield, and we're we're pretty efficient. Um, but our yield is three hundred and sixty-five ola per ton of barley, which is still okay. way below where we'd be sitting in Scotland. So yeah, yeah sure. It's not sure. not not necessarily okay. not necessarily a yield thing. It's just it's just this sweetness which seems to be coming through in the new New Zealand barley, which is which is kind of really wow. interesting. Um, so we get that that gets malted for us in uh, in the south of the North Island. Um, and then we have a two roller mill at the distillery that we that we kind of mill it mill it ourselves. Um, so one hundred percent, one hundred percent New Zealand barley. Um, mm. And then talking about the talking about the mashing. So we do, we'll do a three water mashing. So a traditional yeah. three water mashing. First water at sixty seven. Um, second okay. water at eighty. Third water yeah. at ninety. Third water recycled for the first water of the following the following mash. Uh, we do capture all the sugar. We've done residual sugar tests. There's nothing left in the draft whatsoever. So yeah, that's, uh, okay. we do we do capture all the sugar out of it. Um, what we do do though is we do a sort of water that we use. We built the distillery over a natural aquifer. Um, mm. So that cap that captures the water from the surrounding volcanic hills, which takes a hundred years to drain down to the aquifer, and we will pipe directly out to, out of the aquifer into the distillery. So water which is very very heavy in iron, very heavy in manganese, um, really mm. good for the profile of whiskey we're trying to we're trying to distill, and that comes straight into the distillery for our mashing water. Um, the I think that with with us with the mashing, um, we do a forty five minute uh, break in the first water. Um, to let it to let it settle, we do a continuous sparge and collection with the second water, and a continuous sparge and collection with the third water. What what we do okay. though is a very very long recirculation of the wort, probably for about twenty yeah. or twenty five minutes, to get that wort as clear as we possibly can, and that obviously is going to help with the green grassiness of the whiskey, the viscosity sure. of the whiskey, yep. etc. At yep. the same time, um, we'll then do a slow transfer between the vessels from the transfer from the mash tun to the fermenters. You know, mm. we're, we're putting it through. It will take us about 45 minutes to transfer across. Um, and again, what we're trying to do, I think everything with us, it's about doing everything slowly, not rushing mm. everything. Um, mm. We've got no constraints over time, no constraints over volume, no constraints over yield. Um, it's not about how, how much it costs us to make the product. It's about what can we do with no compromise in any part of the process to make the whiskey as, as good as we possibly can yes. before yep. it goes into the barrel. And let the barrel enhance it, rather than using the barrel to cover a multitude of sins, and that's mm. kind of the 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 un- overlying kind of, I suppose, ethos that we've got in the business. There is no compromise in anything we do for the product. It's not about cost. It's all about the whiskey. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, it's I I love hearing this, all the way up to fermentation. I remember, oh geez, 
speaking with a, a couple of producers and they, they talked about tying the viscosity of a spirit all the way back to mash. Yep. And I never really understood that. I just said, okay. And then, and then, and then moved on. And then you finally explained where that, where that viscosity really comes yeah. from. And, 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 and you've talked to that very well. So, okay. It's so all, great. It's so you've got little, yeah. I think there's lots of little parts of the puzzle. Yeah. And what I say to people who visit the distillery, it's not this or this or this, which makes our whiskey. It's a culmination of all of these little different things that we do. Sure. That, sure. that a lot of the larger distilleries can't do anymore because, you know, it's a question of yield, it's a question of volume, it's a question of flexibility. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a sum of a whole kind of thing. Yeah, we okay. sometimes say whiskey's made on spreadsheets now in Scotland. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah and it's, it, is, it is what it is. We're in a fantastic situation in Scotland that we've not got enough whiskey. Okay. <laughs> 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 so 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 we're up to fermentation here can you can yep. you continue this story yeah so on the fermentation so we do an 80 hour ferment um which is okay. which is about about as long as we can push it i mean we will sour at 90 um so it's kind of we push we push it to 80 the primary fermentation is done in the kind of 40 hours 42 hours um and that secondary fermentation is going to allow those nice fruity notes to to develop in the whiskey as well at the same time um we we kind of batch produce so we we bring in for each mashing is 550 kilos of barley into our half ton mash ton is 2700 liters of wort into a 3000 liter fermenter um, we have a 4000 liter wash still so it's one fermenter to one wash distillation. And then we've oversized mm -hmm. our spirit still. We have a 3,700 litre spirit still, which allows us to do two wash distillations for a spirit distillation. Mm. And that's just more wow. sustainable from an energy point of view. Yeah. And also, yep. also be, because our, 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 our spirit distillation is so long, um, and I'll explain why afterwards, it also kind of cuts down a bit on time and energy and stuff like that, which is, which mm -hmm. is really, really good. So we'll do we'll do the eighty hour eighty hour ferment. We'll end up with our our kind of wash at eight point nine percent alcohol. Um, we'll transfer slow transfer across to the wash still, um, and then it's about a five and a half six hour distillation um, for the wash distillation. Out of the two thousand seven hundred liters, we'll end up with our nine hundred liters of low wines. Um, a second two thousand seven hundred liter wash distillation, 1,800 litres of low wines, 1,800 litres of low wines, plus approximately 800 litres of four shots and faints into the spirit yep. still. So it's about a 2,700 load into a 3,800 litre kind of spirit still. Okay. Okay. So so the, the stills um, kind of, you know, swan uh, swan neck stills, uh, lantern, lantern, tall lantern uh, kind of uh, shape to them, very tall stills for the size of the stills. Uh, we've made yeah. them as tall as we possibly can. Obviously, trying to make the sweetest whiskey we possibly can. Uh -huh. um, that, that sounded yeah. like a Glenmorangie. Yeah. That sounded like a Glenmorangie. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> your old habits die hard. I can, I can <laughs> see, I can see your face, Jason. There, it sounded like a, like a Glenmorangie. Yeah, um, Tallest so, stills in New Zealand. Yeah, that's yeah. It. <laughs> which, which I can, I can claim, I can claim easily. It's great. It's great. There you go. Um, as tall as a kangaroo. Okay. Which is great. So we've got light line arm on the wash still pointing downhill line on the spirit still pointing uphill quite a quite an incline as well to make it difficult okay. to get the contenters um, mm -hmm. and i think with the spirit distillation that's for me is where one of our biggest point of difference is um, and we distill crazy slowly i mean when i'm talking crazy slowly it really is crazy slowly we're between two and a half and three liters per minute 
kind of in wow. distillation. Um, now, if I go okay. back, if I go back to a lot of the Scottish distillers, you're between you know ten and twenty liters per minute. Um, yeah. Now, now distilling in stills our size at two to three liters per minute is really problematic um, because <laughs> we've got big steam coils. Um, you're not putting enough steam into the coils to evacuate the condensate, um, so you get steam hammer. And the steam mm. can kind of rock itself uh, apart. So what we did is we put in a piece of kit called an Ogden pump, um, which mm. you guys probably know already. Um, an Ogden pump comes and blows a burst of condensate, a burst of steam through our coils every couple of minutes to evacuate that condensate to avoid the steam hammer to allow us to continue to distill so slowly. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh. and, that, and, and that slow distillation, what that basically means is that we, the, the, the vapor's really struggling to rise. It's kind of, it's refluxing constantly in the still. It's falling back down. It's struggling to rise. It's falling back down. That's doing two things. One, it's massively increasing my copper contact, massively. Mm. It's also mm. probably citing myself somewhere between a double and a triple distillation because I'm spending mm. so much time in that still that I'm pushing the ABV up. So yeah. in a typical kind of double distillation, you'll start collecting your spirit at 69 and you'll go down to about 62 or 63% alcohol. That's kind of traditional cut for a, for a double distillation. Yeah, um, sure. we, start collect, we start collecting our spirit at 77. Oh, wow. And we, and we stop collecting our spirit at 72. Right. Wow. <laughs> okay. okay. Super okay. high cuts and that's, be- and that's yeah. because of this slow distillation and that's mm. because of all this reflux we're creating in the still and that's why i'm saying we're sitting somewhere between double and triple distillation yeah and that's what explains that incredible sweetness that you get immediately off the pork and the whiskey on the nose etc and the rest of it um the cut as well like you said is really really tight um so for us because we're distilling so slowly your spirit distillation will be bordering on eight and a half to nine hours out of that time, we'll be on spirit for about an hour and 55 minutes. That's all. We're wow. taking a tiny <laughs> cut out of that. We're taking, wow. we will run, you know, typical running on four shots. You'll run on four shots in Scotland for 10, 15 minutes. You'll, mm-hmm. you'll do the mist test. It's clear, cool, on we go kind of thing. We run on four shots for 40 minutes. Okay, we're evacuating all of those heavy alcohols. We don't want any of it in the spirit. And as soon as the first hint of nuttiness comes in, we're off. We we, we don't want that in our spirit. We want we we want the sweet smooth spirit. So again, you know, it's it's okay. It's it's not particularly kind of efficient, um, but but it's what we want to do with our whiskey. (laughs) I'm just sitting here with all of those numbers and what all of that means for the spirit. Um, while, I'm, while I've got these numbers dancing in my head, you, you'd mentioned a moment ago about a period where the still doors are left open. Yes. Um, mm. so we, I, don't, I don't think I've heard that anywhere else. So, uh, so I'm o- not oxygen, it happen, but I haven't heard it. Oxygen regenerates copper. And copper, mm. and copper gives you the sweetness to your whiskey. So we will do, by, by doing, um, so, so our basic production plan at the moment is that obviously, because you know, it's, like, it's not like Scotland, um, we don't need malt whiskey to put in blended whiskey because there is no grain distillation in, in New Zealand, so that's not going to happen. Yep. Um, so, so, so what you're distilling is only for yourself. You know, there's no exchanges, there's no swaps, yeah. there's no, yeah. no et cetera, and the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do not sell new make to anybody. We've not done one founder's cask. We've not done, yeah, we, we're very, very anal about building a premium brand. Um, and, and so for us, you know, we, we don't need a lot of distillation at the moment. We're distilling 80,000 over a year at the moment, which is more than enough for our, for our brand requirements for the time being. So that means for us, four spirit distillations a week and eight wash distillations a week, that's all. And for the rest of that time, 
Our still doors are open, letting the oxygen regenerate the copper, which is also going to help the, the sweetness of the whiskey. Wow. So it's just long, long still rest. Long still rest, again, it will help with yeah. your sweetness, with your green grassy, uh, green grassy kind of nature of your whiskey. So are you... If you've got this rest period, one of the things we've talked about, you know, someone like Lafroig, who... Yeah. You know, used to have this kind of meteor iodiney, more you know quintessentially Isla spirit. Yeah. Then started running their stills continually and, and got quite a minerally, quite yep. a gravelly spirit out of it. Yeah. One of the hypotheses floated is the stills never got to cool down. They were running constantly. They lost some of their viscous uh, viscosity to their spirit as well. Yep. Are you finding in cooling down and recharging and opening doors are you finding that's helping texture is is there it helps is there truth to that hypothesis yeah it it definitely definitely i mean like i said before there's lots of little things which help and that's definitely one of the things which help as well and i think you know we we and that comes from the kind of you know the hit list of stuff that we wanted to do when we built the distillery we had a clear yeah. list of stuff that we wanted to do and we knew that we knew that everything would help so you know and that will always be kind of a feature of ourselves is these and that was the reason as well for oversizing the spirit still because it means mm. that the wash still is working twice as hard the spirit still gets a lot of times to have to have a break yeah. Uh, mm. yep. yeah that makes me think of um of Kalila's stills right they feel their their spirit still quite low and yeah. and really let it go fairly slowly which makes for that lighter spirit they tend to have a good viscosity to it so yeah yeah, there you go man this is great i'm still getting over the (laughs) yeah that cut that you're talking about 77 to 72 is is wild when you were when you were conceiving of this idea did you conceive of that number on paper, did it start coming about once you were running the no, equipment? It's once, it's once we were running. So I mean, we've we've, yeah. we've got you know we're, we're we're true crafted distillers in the fact that every single cut is done by nose and taste. It's not done by parameters. Mm-hmm. So obviously the distillers have got their parameters, but that doesn't mean they cut on the parameters. It is nose and taste test every single spirit distillation. Um, yeah. We've kind of we, we've kind of done a, we've built a very automated distillery. We have a state of the art distillery. Um, the whole of the mashing process is is, is automated. The uh, yeah, um, automatic cooling on the fermenters, automatic control of all the stills, etc., and the rest of it. But the cut is done by nose and taste. And the reason we've automated things is that one, we knew that we wanted to build a global brand, so we had to be capable, even for a small craft distiller, of of achieving the economies of scale to allow us a price positioning in the market, which would allow us to to develop a global brand, and also sure. a, a distillery capable of running. 365 days a year 24 hours a day if we wanted it to Um, but also as well is craft distilling doesn't mean different every time we want to give the consumer (laughs) the same whiskey every time and time again and the only way to do that is through process control so through automation Um, and i think as well it was vital for us you know if we were going to to go out with this strategy of building a global brand which you know basically then dictated a certain price positioning on the markets as well, is that we had to be efficient. And that meant that we, you know, we couldn't afford to run with you know, 50 people in the distillery. We had to have a low number mm. of people in the distillery, a high level of automation. And we wanted to get the business model self-sustainable as quickly as we possibly could. And that's why we invested at the start in this state of art distillery to allow us to, allow us to do that. So. 
Jason, you wanted to ask about casks. <laughs> I did. You are correct. You are correct. <laughs> um, <laughs> so actually connected to what we're saying here about the cut, what do you do you then fill your casks at a more traditional Scottish strength? Do you have your own Pocono strength? What does that look like? And yeah. what are you mostly filling into right now? And then I have my follow-up. Yes, then, 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 then I know you. I know what the follow-up is already. Oh, there's a couple of there's a couple of follow-ups. Um, so yeah, so we we will fill at sixty three and a half. We're we're just filling at the the traditional kind of Scottish Scottish filling level. Yep. Um, obviously, we don't want to fill higher than that. Higher than that, less interaction with the barrel. I'm not a massive kind of fan of filling lower either. Um, so we kind mm -hmm. of yeah, we, we fill at sixty three and a half. Um, what we fill into we fill into a variety of casks. I mean, eighty percent of our liquid is filled into first full bourbon. Um, mm -hmm. We get our bourbon casks from Jack Daniels, so from Brown Foreman. We bring those across. It's their first, their select casks that we bring across. Um, we will only use those once, so we will only mm -hmm. do first full bourbon casks. There's a there's a reason for that, which I'll tell you about in a in a minute as well, which is part of your follow up as well, um, I think. Um, <laughs> we'll then fill into sherry casks, so we we work with Miguel Martin in Spain for that. Um, mm -hmm. Awesome. Sherry will be Oloroso, Pedro Jimenez, Moscatel, Amontillado, Palo Cortado. Um, yeah, we've got a variety of sherry casks we fill into. Um, we'll fill into virgin casks. Um, we'll fill into port casks. We'll fill into rum casks. We'll fill into a whole variety of different casks, wine casks, New Zealand wine casks, um, um, STR casks. Um, so there's a whole whole variety of casks that we'll fill into. But but what we tend to do is we the overlying principle of the distillery is we fill new make into all of these casks for full maturation. And that will then give me a lot of different ingredients after the full maturation to make up my different whiskies. Um, rather than doing a lot of finishing, etc., and the rest of it. So we tend to, yeah. to do very little finishing. Mm -hmm. We'll do a little bit of finishing for some speciality casks. Um, but apart from that, it tends to be full maturation for, for all of our whiskies. Um, the, the maturation is a really important kind of thing, question around this, which I know is going to be one of your follow-ups. So I'll jump on, <laughs> I'll jump on, I'll jump on that straight away. Um, when, when we built the distillery, I was fully aware that building the distillery in subtropical North Island, New Zealand, um, with kind of incredible humidity, incredible low high pressures, incredible changes of temperature. The, the, the maturation was always going to be quicker than it was in mm -hmm. Scotland. Um, how quick, I didn't actually know. Um, we did. We built the business plan on four, four and a half percent per year evaporation. Going, we're going to go two, two and a half times quicker than Scotland. It's going to be great. You know, <laughs> we're going to bring a whiskey out after five or six years. It's going to be just as good as the ten years at Scotland. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be cool. Mm -hmm. So after year one, we kind of went. That cask's looking a bit low. Maybe it's a leaker. Doesn't matter. We'll see that. Year two, we go. This is really, really low. There's, you know, maybe oh, the, all the casks are stacked away. With it's only it must be three or four leakers. It's fine. So, year, year three, we're kind of going. Okay, well, we'll have a good look at these casks now. We're not, we're not launching, of course, yet. But we'll have a good last look kind of thing. And we're going. My God, this whiskey is really, really good. Why is it so good? And why are our casks so low? You know, we, we must be having some leakers here. So, so after after emptying like you know fifty or sixty and regaging fifty or sixty casts, you go, no, it's not the leakers; it's the actual maturation. Oh, um, so, so we're losing nine nine percent per year in angel share. <laughs> yeah. So it's it, it's absolutely nuts. 
Absolutely. From imagining four and building a plan on four. Holy That's it, holy. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah we're, we're never going to get to ten. <laughs> it's not, not, not going to happen. Yeah. Um, my, my dreams of one day sitting drinking a 30-year-old Pocono have gone out there, gone out, there, gone out yeah. the room, haven't they? Um, so, so I think, yes, yeah, so I think, but for us, it's kind of then, for me, that's what's great about New World Whiskey versus Old World Whiskey. Mm-hmm. is that, that for us it can't be about the age and think about Indian mm-hmm. whiskey think about Taiwanese whiskey all the, those regions which have got sem- similar levels of evaporation as we have around the uh, between the 7 and 7 and 9% kind of thing um, it's all about flavour yeah, and, and we actually we're getting to you know if you drink a, a pork and origin which is you know incredibly smooth incredibly sweet incredibly fruity kind of thing when it gets to five and a half years old it starts taking too much wood on because we're maturing mm. five times quicker than in Scotland. So if you think about a 15 to 20-year-old Scotch single malt, which can start becoming too woody, which can start losing all of those yeah. fruity flavours, we're there at six. Yeah. So, you know, yep. it's, it's not it's not just a question of can we get to 10? It's do we even want to get to 10? Because actually yeah. our, yeah. our, yeah. our whisk is not going to be as good at six as it was at, at four or four and a half. Um, because we've lost thirty percent of our barrel after after three and a half to three and a half to four years, kind of thing. So, so that for me was, and and it works. The whiskey works so hard in that barrel over here that in the warehouse you see it sweating itself out of the stays of the barrel. It's crazy. Um, wow. It's it's but it, yeah, it, it, for me it's characteristic. It's what builds the character of my whiskey. People have said to me, why don't you climate control? Why don't you do things like that? And if I do that, <laughs> if I do that, I'm not making New Zealand whiskey anymore. Yeah, exactly. yeah, I've got to. I've yep. got to let that environment go. Um, so that that for me was was vitally, vitally important. And and I think you know one thing which I've noticed. And this is just me. This is my personal opinion. It's not. It's not you know, science or fact or anything like this. Is that when I taste a Scotch whiskey, you know, a ten year old Scotch whiskey, a twelve year old Scotch whiskey, you know, there's the dominant kind of feature in there is the soft vanilla and the soft oak tannins. Yes, you've got yeah. the fruit. Yes, you've got your thing. But your classic Scotch 10, 12-year-old single malt is your, is your soft oak tannings. When you taste a New World whiskey at three and a half or four years, we've had that quick maturation, so we've got the sweetness and the smoothness. We've not had that overlying time in cask for the wood to overtake the notes that were there in the new mm. make at the start. And we've, we're a lot more fruit forward. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think, you know, difference New World, Old World, New World fruit forward, Old World oak forward. I don't know. It's just, yeah. Well, you're, you're certainly in a privileged position as a man with a foot in each camp where out of Scotland, we've certainly heard tradition. We have certainly yeah. heard history. We've certainly heard age statements. And now as a, as a gentleman with a, with a foot in the new world, here you are saying flavor and profile and new traditions you know you know mentioning dave broom where he talks about you know somebody's innovation today is someone's tradition tomorrow yeah and so 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 here you are kind of food in each camp Mm. and now you're even talking about possibly non-oak maturation Mm. for your spirit and with a food in each camp can you talk a little bit about why oak but then what might be available to you as you move yeah. beyond oak? I'm not saying away from oak, I'm saying beyond oak. We've already moved beyond oak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have, you, have you tasted it yet, Josh, or not? Your, your non-oak distillate? Yeah, have you, have you tasted the tortra yet? 
No, I haven't had a chance to test it yet. I'm waiting you for my taste? sample. Oh, there yeah. you go. Ooh. I'm surprised you're not yeah. pinched off Sam already. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so, so yeah. So we, I mean, we this 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 for us was a key part of when we built the distillery. Um, as I mentioned earlier on, I alluded to the fact that there was no infrastructure in New Zealand. Um, and there wasn't, you know, we're, we're very fortunate when we're in Scotland and we, we go, actually, we've got third party bottlers, we've got third party duty bonded warehouses, we've got cooperages, mm -hmm. we've got you know, still makers, we've got all this kind of thing. And in New Zealand, we have none of this. Um, so I very kind of stupidly, I suppose, and short sightedly when I built the distillery went, I, I know how to make whiskey. I don't know how to bottle whiskey. I definitely don't want to bottle whiskey. So I built my distillery. Um, and then after kind of three, three and a half years, we're going, well, actually, we're going to launch in like six months, nine months, because <laughs> it's, it's ready kind of thing. So I'll just go and find a third party bottler. There aren't any. Excellent. Wow. Cool. So, so then it was, God, I'm going to have to build a bottling hall. Oh, no. So we, so we then went on and proceeded to buy, to build a whole filtration plant, bottling hall, et cetera, and the rest of it. Um, dry goods warehouse, finished goods warehouse, and the rest of it, and kind of that, that was done. I went, oh, cruel, so now. And then at the same time as we were doing that, you know, probably, you know, two or three years ago, I'd had a bright idea of going, wouldn't it be cool to do some New Zealand native wood cask whiskey? That would be so cool because we've got some cool New Zealand native woods, et cetera, and the rest of it. Um, nobody's ever been able to make them into barrels because nobody's ever tried, but it'd be cool to try. Um, and we'd done some tests kind of three or four years ago with native wood and spirit on the interaction, um, which was as simple as getting some air dried native woods, toasting them, charring them, putting them in glass jars with kind of spirit and seeing how they interacted for a couple of years and yeah. go, that's going to be bloody good. That'd be cool, et cetera. And the rest of it. Okay, cool. Um, and so kind of at the same time we were kind of looking to build this kind of bottling hall a couple of years ago we said to ourselves well you know let's look at the coopering side of things as well so you know we first of all said let's find a cooper in new zealand and i was like oh there are no coopers in new zealand when, when was the last cooper in new zealand he died in 1990 shit um ah, okay boy. cool it doesn't matter there's cooperages in australia happy day so we'll, we'll we can actually send some native new zealand timber over to australia have it made into casks for us and sent back that's a cool idea uh -huh. until you come up with this thing which is called the treaty of waitangi so the, tre the treaty of waitangi in new zealand which is, which is what was signed between the maori and the and the pakeha back in i should know the exact year but uh, almost 100 something years ago um, and when that treaty was signed as part of that treaty it forbid the export of untransformed new zealand native timber uh. So, wow. can't do that either. Okay, cool. So, third idea is, how about if I talk to one of my Cooper friends in New Zealand, fly him over to New Zealand, get him to make some casks for me, and then fly him back again? That sounds a cool <laughs> idea. Um, and that was all set up for May of 2020. Uh, yep, that's that rings a bell. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, so obviously, when we realised that COVID was going to last for a while, it was like, okay, that's not going to be a possibility either. So, so that point of time, I went, you know, this, I've had enough of this. I'm just going to build a cooperage. Um, so, so we decided to build a cooperage at the distillery. So, so we went through then the whole thing of building this dedicated cooperage at the distillery. Um, but of course, then I needed a cooper. So the, the, the Australians mm -hmm. and for, so where, where could I look for a Cooper? I could look for a Cooper in Australia, the United States or Scotland. They were my three kind of, they're my three kind of options. 
Um, the Australians are paid far too much money over in Australia, have a great pension scheme. They were never going to come work in New Zealand. That was, that was never going to happen. Um, I tried a couple of the Americans who were like, yeah, New Zealand, quaint, but not going, not going there kind of thing. Um, so at that point in time, it was, okay, it's got to be Scotland kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. so I then went through a whole process of finding a master cooper in Scotland who was willing to emigrate to New Zealand. Um, found one, which was great. Um, and he arrived over here in November of 2022. So we have, uh, we have New Zealand's okay. only cooperage um, and New Zealand's only master cooper. He's a 14, 14 year trade cooper. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so, so we then equip the cooperage <laughs> with everything, including our own barrel shaving machine. We do our own STR casks, we do etc. and the rest of it. And at that point in time, we went, okay, cool. Now we've done this, we're actually going to see if we can make a barrel out of native wood <laughs> because we've, we've put all this investment in, but we don't actually know if we can make a barrel because it's, the, are we going to be actual bend the wood kind of thing? So we kind of, this was a big kind of leap of faith. Celine, my wife's going, you're a nutcase. You don't even know if you can make a barrel. You built a cooperage, you brought a cooper over. What are you going to do with a cooper if you can't make barrels? And I'm, we'll, we'll find something for him to do. Um, so we did the first test with uh, with Torthra wood. Now Torthra, we'd already done some experiments with the spirit. We knew it was going to work really, really well. Um, mm-hmm. It's a beautiful red wood, but it's an incredibly hard wood. So the whole sure. question was, were we going to be able to bend it? Now, now when you're bending, so my, my Cooper's going. He's a big guy. He's going. I can bend anything. I'm going, <laughs> Good. That sounds good. I like this kind of thing. So I've got this image in my head of him sitting, scratching his head in the cooperage after steaming the wood. So when you steam oak, you steam it for half an hour, then you can bend it. So four and a half hours in. Oh my God. He's still steaming this torture and he's going, it will work. It will work. Now we've not got a hoop driver in the distillery. So he's doing it traditional barrel building by hand. Okay. Okay. So there's, there's myself the cooper and my production manager with four ratchet sets <laughs> trying to bend this oh my god but we got we got there we have got the technique now we, we've got it sorted so so we officially making started making torture barrels in uh, in december of 2022 <laughs> we now made i think our 20th barrel or something like that already kind of thing and we released the world <laughs> the world's first ever torture wow. finished whiskey um, in July this year, of which I believe you have got stock arrived in the US now, Josh. So. Oh, man. And it only takes wow. you seven weeks to make one cask. That's oh, amazing. Takes, so now, now, yeah, it's almost that. So, so now, but the problem is, of course, as well, it gets even harder than this because all of the native New Zealand timbers are protected. Mm. So sure. they have, they have mm-hmm. to be sustainably forested. You can't cut them down. You have to wait for the wind to blow them down. Wow. Um, okay so yeah. yeah so it's all it's all sustainable forestry and stuff like that so but it but it's cool for, for us it's something which anything worth doing shouldn't be easy um mm-hmm. so it's difficult getting the wood the wood's expensive it's difficult to make into a barrel etc it takes it takes him a full day to make a barrel so from start to scratch it takes big but we're making everything by hand we're shape yeah we're, we're forming the the staves by hand we're 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 forming the barrel by hand we're we're toasting over the braziers in the traditional way by hand etc and the rest of it so we're, we're making our own hoops by hand it's uh, everything is done everything is done traditionally um so for us that's really really exciting because that that is you can't get more intrinsically kiwi than a new zealand whiskey <laughs> yeah. made from new zealand barley in a barrel from new zealand wood 
and, 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 and for me, that's really, really, it's really, really interesting. Um, and it opens up these other avenues for, for different taste profiles coming through the whiskey. You know, the torturer is bringing notes of white peach, exotic fruit, creamy coconut. It's kind of, you know, I was tasting out the mm. barrel with Dave when he was across and he was going, whoa, my God, this is so different. <laughs> and that's what we want. Oh, wow. We want it yeah. to be different. We want it yeah. to be different. So, so that's, yeah, it's pretty cool. So, so one of the things we talk about with oak and the benefit of oak is it's the right balance between not letting liquid out, but letting vapors out through pores and allowing yeah. atmosphere in and, and, and hence maturation. But you also get angel share with that. And as you're describing your 9%, if, if I'm counting correctly, and, and maybe you, you pulled it sooner than this, but approximately an eight month finish in New Zealand native wood during your more winter months, but yes. subtropical conditions, how did you find your angel share during that finishing period, and, and what do you think it might mean for yeah. for full maturation and that it's, type it's of really, wood? It's really difficult to tell. It's it's really a really early kind of thing. Yeah, I mean we we did we did about a the the kind of finishing period was about a six month finishing period that we used for it because gotcha. we've got to think that these are virgin casks. So you know six six mm -hmm. months in a virgin torture barrel for already mm -hmm. it, it brings a hell of a lot of flavour and stuff through. Um, we, we're doing at the moment. I mean, I, I, I think it's going to be pretty similar, based on what based on what we saw. But at the moment, we've bottled the equivalent of kind of six casks, so it's sure, it's, sure. it's yeah. really yeah. early to, to to say that. Um, but but I think you know what we've done at the time being is we've laid some stock down in virgin torture barrels for full maturation. We've laid some stock down in first fill torture barrels so the finishing barrels that we've then used ah, before yeah, maturation sure. because basically yeah. after a finish that becomes almost like a first fill a first fill cask kind mm -hmm. of thing um mm -hmm. we've put some one-year-old spirit in some, some two-year-old spirit in some so we've got various kind of tests and trials and stuff going on to see how it will react but maybe ask me that question in a year's time i'll have a more more exact answer and yeah different woods are going to act differently i mean we're going to we just built our first ever cowrie casks. Um, we're building our first ever poriri casks next month. Um, we've got a load of native New Zealand oak coming in as well. So we're going to make some, some New Zealand oak casks as well. Um, so there's lots of cool stuff that we've got around this wood side that we're kind of experimenting with at the same time. Interesting. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, it, it's absolutely. I watch this space and see where the wood profile goes. That's. I, I'm, I'm curious... Because we saw it over here with American Craft, that putting the treated staves into the the mason jars and yes. you were getting incredible colour real fast, but then sometimes it was a bit like licking on the very stick that you put in the jar. Um, did you get some of that accelerated maturation or accelerated finishing happening there you know how did you find the the mason yeah, jar yeah I, th I, th I think it's the, the jar experiments are incredibly difficult to measure <laughs> measure scientifically because yeah. you know the the toasting and the charring is very when you're talking about wood parts it's difficult to, to measure um the ratio of liquid to wood yeah. compared to what yeah. it is in the barrel is almost impossible to replicate it so you're obviously going to over egg it every time um, mm. so, so for us it was more about what was happening in the first couple of months and after two mm. or three months mm -hmm. what are the initial profiles coming through um, yep. which are the woods and we must have trialed 10 native New Zealand woods kind of thing out of those 10 we selected two 
you know, there were mm. there were eight which we were going, oh my god, either this is awful or no, this isn't going to work or this is this could not work, etc. And the rest of it, and there were two out of there which kind of which were the the torture and the periri, which we went, yeah, these are these are really cool for for that. So the torture mm. we've managed to make into a cask. The periri, I'll tell you in a month's time, we've got the first load of wood coming down in a month's time, and then we're gonna we're gonna okay. try and make it into a barrel. So it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting and interesting. Yeah, that's very cool. It also makes me wonder which ones, which native woods would do well over a longer period, but maybe don't show as well in the short term. And yeah, so and they I think get... it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting because, you know, we're finding as well that, you know, if we leave the finishing stock in there too long, a dryness in the torture comes through, if it's any more than six or seven months. But then once it's become a first full cask, what's that going to do to it? Yeah, is then yeah. Gonna, and, and and we're trying to work that out at the moment, kind of thing. It's all, <laughs> it's it's all kind of it, it's it's like anything though, you know. You, you you it's kind of each time you do it, you're having to fill full casks to do it. So you're putting a lot of good spirit in there to do it. But if we don't try it, we're never going to know. So it's exactly. Gonna be a, so, yeah. so exactly. Yeah. So so for your two core products, you've got um, Origin, which is bourbon cask. And yeah. discovery, which has uh, a fair bit of sherry cast maturation in there, and you've done some one-offs, sort of like a, a double bourbon, and then this 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 new yeah. wood that you're talking about. Quite often, when people talk about whiskies from down under, right from from Australia or from New Zealand, you hear these whiskies being matured in wine casks as mm. uh, uh, regularly. But we haven't heard any discussion of that. Is that something you're looking to to avoid and you want to stick with, at least for your core products, more traditional oak and then play around with native oak? Or do you plan on dabbling in, in wine casks? Yeah, no, we do. We, I mean, we do do some wine casks. We have got we have got a third product which we sell in New Zealand, which is Pocono Revelation. Um, so yep. Pocono Revelation has got... Um, Probably about thirty percent of the liquid is full maturation New Zealand red wine casks, um, mm-hmm. and seventy percent first full bourbon. Um, we, the reason we've not released that globally, um, I think, two reasons. One, we we're very particular on the type of New Zealand red wine casks that we use. Um, we've not got many of them available, um, so mm-hmm. our, our ability to roll that product out on a larger scale is quite limited for the time being. Um, mm-hmm. We do, like I say, we do sell it in New Zealand. There's one or two smaller export markets have taken taken some of the stock. Um, we've started doing some of our own STR casks um, with New Zealand mm-hmm. red wine casks. Um, it's it's not something. It's not something I'm a massive fan of personally. Um, yeah. Which I think has dictated why we've not gone we've not gone big in it. There are a lot of new world distillers out there doing it already. Um, think Starwood, sure. you know, Star Starwood's yeah, sure. only in only in red wine yeah. cask. Think think Cotswolds. Cotswolds is only STR cask. Um, yeah. You know, there's so I think for myself it was kind of you know I, I wanted to, and the reason we do so much in first world bourbon casks is I want to showcase the quality of the liquid I'm distilling. Yeah, rather than camouflage yeah. it completely with yeah. a range of different casks. Um, so so for me, the, the Pocono Origin, which is just first for bourbon, which is showcasing our, our profile kind of thing, is where, where I want to, what I want to show to the world. Um, I think when you're building a, you're trying to build an international brand as well. I mean, we all know the difficulty of getting, you know, uh, products and SKUs onto shelves of liquor stores. 
um, you know, core ranges of five, six, seven products. You, you just can't, you can't work it in market, especially for a, for a niche, a niche New Zealand single malt whiskey. So I think that's why we went with the two products in the core range at the start. Um, we've got the ability to extend that range if we want to, but I think it's important to, to build your brand on the basis of kind of one or two solid products at the start and sure. then develop out in the future when the market's ready rather than making yep. the work the work very hard for the distributors having kind of very extensive ranges to go to go out and sell gotcha uh, on, go that, on that very subject uh, i was reading uh, and i i read a couple of articles where you were interviewed and it was so interesting to me they were both new zealand press and it was interesting how they just were asking you like how much money have you invested in this and what are your profits and and i was like you know, it's the Scotsman in me, but holy yeah. moly, you don't ask that question. You don't ask that sort of question. Yeah, it's nice. that's the key. That's the Kiwis for you. Just like, yeah. Well, and, and I love the way you sidestepped it every single time. So, so let me ask you: How much money did you personally invest? No, that's a, that's a... Ask my ask my wife too much. <laughs> right. No, one one of the things I read was you were looking at dedicating 5% of your spirit to your home market and 95% to export. And I was, I think that maybe came from a 2022 article. And I was curious if those are still your numbers and then, and then why, where, where was the impetus for, for this, to my, to my eye, major focus on export for a, a New Zealand brand? Yeah, I mean, New Zealand is a tiny whiskey market. It's a fantastic whiskey market, but it's a tiny whiskey market. There's a small group of passionate consumers. I mean, that, that's growing. Um, but, you know, tr traditionally, New Zealand's a beer and wine market. Um, it's a hot, humid country. Um, so pe pe people are drinking beer and beer and wine kind of thing. Um, so I think the, the opportunity for a New Zealand whiskey in New Zealand is always going to be limited to a certain extent. Um, I mean, we're very passionate about our own products. You know, we're very, we've got a great pride for, for, sure. for our national domestic products. So that, that, that's kind yeah. of really good. But I think as well, because there's a lot of smaller craft distillers. You know, if you think about the, the Australian Tasmanian model kind of thing, it's, it goes along lots of distilleries all selling locally, regionally, at quite a high price point, uh, quite a high price point, but not really extending out internationally. Uh, one, because their volume kind of restrictions, but also because their price strategy, you know, they, they are priced, they're priced very high. And I think the same thing's going to happen in New Zealand as well. I think the domestic marketplace, because there's a lot of smaller distilleries starting to develop, will become quite crowded quite soon. Um, and there's only so much New Zealand whiskey can be consumed in can be consumed in New Zealand. So I think we were always conscious that yeah we, we wanted to make sure that we had a presence in New Zealand. We want the domestic markets are always important, so we do give a lot of attention to to the New Zealand market. But it's never going to be if we want to for the size of distillery that we've built. The New Zealand market cannot sustain a distillery of our size, yeah. so it had to look at the global international expansion. Um, we'd kind of said, yeah, 95, 95, five. We're probably at this point of time, 90, 10, looking, looking okay. at our figure, figures kind of thing. But that's because okay. we've put a lot of effort into our domestic distribution as well. Uh, we're developing duty-free in New Zealand as well. We've developed a visitor center activity and online sales that we didn't think that we were going to do at the start. Um, so there's a number of stuff that we've put into place, which is actually helping that model kind of that develop a bit more. Oh, so. okay. Nice one. Nice. Yeah. Cheers. I appreciate your transparency. No, it's cool. Yeah, so that's a nice little surprise for you. You thought it was going to be 95.5 and 
and it grew to 90 10 that's that's very cool yeah and it might go might even might even go a bit further and we'll see i mean it's uh, we're getting a lot a lot of kind of following from the brand in new zealand the people are enjoying the product people are liking the product um we've kind of put it out there at a very good price point as well as it is around the world so it's it is accessible it's an accessible new zealand whiskey which isn't you know, miles above a scotch single malt so it's uh, i think that that definitely helps yeah, so so with that in mind, and and I realize I'm I'm looking at the the clock here, and we're 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 getting close to the end, and I'll have a, a final question for you. But you know, a few months back, I was in San Francisco for the Pleasanton uh, the Pleasanton Games. Um, yeah, you know, just big Highland Games event, and there was a two day whiskey festival happening there, and we had four tables, plenty of whiskeys on the table. And each day, we went through five bottles of Pocono Origin. Mm. People were just plowing through it. And it talks a bit to, I think, what you just said now is that is that accessibility. It's such an accessible whiskey, and it's so pleasing that the word kept passing on and people kept coming to yeah. the table and saying, oof, I, I've, I've, I've got to try this. So it sounds like... Yeah. This idea of creating a whiskey that that was fruity and smooth and pleasing—you had a goal and you seem to have hit that goal, and people are responding very well to it. I I think it's liquid. It's liquid on lips, and every time that we would do in-store tastings around the world, etc., you know, we'll be lined up against several of the distillers at the same time. You know, even when we're over in the U.S., we'd be doing you know in-store tastings with some of the other Scotch whiskey distillers, etc., and we'd be selling. 10, 12, 13 bottles where they'll be selling two or three. And it was, it's just that liquid on lips. People are tasting it. Wow, yeah. this is fruity. This yeah. is sweet. Yeah. This is easy to drink. What's the price point? Oh, wow. That's interesting. And then yeah, the, <laughs> it, it, it literally is the liquid on lips. And that, that's what we wanted to do. That was, for me, that's the most satisfying thing because we went out there making, wanting to make a sweet, fruity whiskey that people are going to love and enjoy. And, and, yeah. and that for me is the most satisfying thing. I think we've managed to do that, which is, which is great. Brilliant. Brilliant. So, okay. So, so here we are, uh, nearing the end of 2023, which I can't believe those words just came out of my mouth. I know. The, yeah. It's crazy. It just <laughs> fucking flew by <laughs> Jesus. Um, what is the next, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm about to ask you what the next five years look like. And I think if you ask a Scottish producer, you get one answer. And if you ask a New Zealand yeah. producer, you get that's something. It, yeah. So what's the next three months look like? <laughs> yeah. Go, go to the beach at Christmas and have a break. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, I really don't know. I mean, somebody was asking me this yeah. question yesterday. What's my vision for Pocono? Um, yeah. My, my vision for Pocono is not to take over the world. Um, mm-hmm. I, we, we mentioned earlier on I've been involved in, in kind of big companies, running big companies, etc. and the rest of it. I don't want to run a big company, uh, not anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so my vision is to carry on building the brand to, I mean, today, you know, if we can build the brand to a 15, 20,000, 90 to case brand over the next five or five or 10 years, um, I'm happy. Um, mm-hmm. Carry on making quality whiskey with no compromise on what we do. Um, I don't want to become a machine. That's not what I want to do. Um, and yeah. just carry on enjoying it. I think, you know, we want to enjoy it. It's a passion project. You know, this is, this is fun for us. 
Um, yeah. Myself and Celine go to the distillery each day because we enjoy going to the distillery each day. Um, because I enjoy driving the forklift. I enjoy jumping on the stills and doing a distillation <laughs> run just to prove just to prove to my distillers I can still do it. Um, and, 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 and you know, you, you find me if you find me going down the distillery any given day. I might be doing a filtration. I might be changing valves on a pump. I might be doing stuff. And actually, I like that. It's, it's what I enjoy doing kind of thing after it feels like I'm making something properly after years of running businesses and running yeah. brands and managing stuff. It's nice to get your hands dirty and actually do some a proper day's work for once. <laughs> so again, your words, not ours. <laughs> <laughs> so, so both you and Celine are going to the distillery each day. What, what role is, is she playing within uh, the so production? Celine, Celine, yeah. Celine runs all the finance admin side of things. Ah, okay. Um, so okay. she she keeps us on the straight and narrow. Uh, there you go. You need stop, that. Stop, you need stop, that. Stops me spending money. <laughs> yeah. Someone needs to say no at the distillery, right? It's all yeah, experimentation yeah. all the time. That's it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, it was. Uh, I tell you, it was. It was absolutely lovely meeting you and Celine in San Francisco and spending it a, a bit of time and sharing some whiskey and and sharing some That's beers it. and. And I look forward to doing that again before too long. Definitely. Um, it was fantastic. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us today and, and sharing. Thank you for taking you know, the time. This ended up being a far geekier conversation than I expected. And I know that our, <laughs> our listeners will devour this and probably rewind <laughs> it and listen to it again and make sure they got 67 degrees. 80 degrees. <laughs> okay, all right. Good, good, good. Um, when do they leave the doors open on the stills? That's fantastic. Uh, a real pleasure to meet you, Matt, and, and you too, spend Jason. time with you and learn about the distillery. Uh, it sounds like you're doing it right, and we always talk about getting down there, and, and hopefully we will get that chance. We've got tons of friends to visit with down there. And it's easy, it's, you it's easy to well. get It's easy to get here. It's easy to get here. It's an easy flight. Yeah. I'm just we'll going to ask you for some of your frequent flyer miles to get down there. <laughs> I, I, I spent years working for other people, building them up. Now I'm spending them all working for myself. Perfect. That's, <laughs> you you are a smart man, Matt. <laughs> awesome. Well, until next time, cheers ever so much. Thank you. Yeah, cheers. Thanks to Matt for making time for us in, in what was 8 a.m. for him in the future. In the future, um, yeah. uh, We never got a chance to ask him if the Terminator had shown up yet, but it was exciting uh, communicating with the future. So, so thanks to Matt for his time. As we led in to that interview, you had commented... Mm -hmm. You've, you've tasted the liquid. You mm -hmm. like the liquid a mm -hmm. whole lot. Oh, yeah. Indeed, you're engaged in the importation and the selling of the liquid. Yeah. I commented in the interview that I hadn't yet had the pleasure of tasting it. That has since been remedied. Ah. So after you, Jess, and, 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 uh, and myself were in Seattle, mm -hmm. uh, hanging out at Westland on November 5th, November 6th, Got to spend time with our friends at Copperworks. That was a wonderful, wonderful oh, yeah. visit as well. Yeah. And then you and Jess dashed off to the airport to catch flights east. And I went to Whiskey Bar on 2nd Avenue in Seattle. Hey, okay. <laughs> and at, and at, at Whiskey Bar on 2nd, they had Pocono on offer. 
And mm -hmm. my guess is, again, we, we always go back and forth on this. I, I do a lot of small pours, so I can do a lot of tastes. Yeah. They poured me an ounce or two <laughs> ounces. It was a ton uh, of liquid uh -huh. uh, for fifteen dollars. Was my my Pocono experience? Is, yeah. Do you remember which and one? And I have to. So only on the menu did it have Pocono New Zealand single malt oh, okay. whiskey. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Does that answer a question? Yeah. My, my guess is if if it was lighter in color and tasted of it bourbon was lighter cast in color. maturation, and it tasted of bourbon cast maturation, uh, and and the alcohol wasn't stinging your taste buds. Nope. Nope. Nothing yeah. crazy so going then, on. Then that would have been Pocono Origin, which is their their you know flagship single malt. They've got a bourbon one. They've got a sherry one. Forty three percent. Um, ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it it lived up to everything Matt had described in our yeah. interview. Yeah. yeah, and and I and I think the Glenmorangie comparisons are well made. Um, yes. Even if you're going to be a bit more general than that, Highland comparisons are mm. well made okay. there as well. And so. Um, yeah, great little drinker, an easy one to pull out for friends. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, and it, it has that double whammy where you get to say, do you like it? And folks say, yeah. And you say, and it comes from New Zealand. <laughs> you know, you, you, yeah. you don't need to lead with the New Zealand. You just need to lead with it being delicious and having this Highland uh, characteristic to it. So, yeah, well-made whiskey. Uh, yeah. Well put together yep. and, and a, a good little drinker. And I'm glad that I could support it uh, in Seattle. And I'm glad that Whiskey Bar on 2nd Avenue had it on their back bar. Beauty. Yeah, that that's that's fantastic. I, I reach for it. That particular one is nice because, yes, it's 43%. And I know we usually rail against 43%. And typically we rail against it because... The whiskey tends to be chill filtered and kind of thin, a bit insipid. But, you know, in this case, the the texture is really remarkable. It's quite chewy. It's quite heavy. Um, and, yeah. and you know I love that that Glenmorangie style, that, that rich, exactly. fruity, citrusy, stone fruit kind of thing going on. And it, and it ticks the boxes. So, yeah. And the fact that you got it for 15 bucks for a... a Two ounce pour, one ounce pour, a big pour, just whatever a, it was. A whole ton of whiskey, yeah, yeah. I they put it, it in a stein I think it was in a Glencairn. Yeah, came came in a Glencairn. I would say that Glencairn was a third full. Okay. Oh wow. So, past the point where it starts to taper in. Uh, kind of back to there, kind of to the top of the bowl that the Glencairn has. Okay, I. I think that that is an ounce and a half. I could be wrong. Listeners, feel free to write in. Where is that? Where 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 is the Glencairn at its widest? What's the volume of liquid that we get in there? Yeah, I I don't even have a Glencairn in my office. There's, you know, there's yeah. nothing. No, I, I just got single cast nation glasses. There. That there you go. So, so there you go. So that was our, uh, yeah, go on. No, 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 no. You go, you go. I was just saying. And so that was our, our Matt Johns experience. That was our Pocono experience. Any 
key takeaways for you in, in listening back to it? Yeah, you you touched on it earlier. You know, I I, I love that uh, that they're starting to play with some native wood, which is which is interesting, mm-hmm. right? And they're 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 working to ratify, you know, the ins and outs of what is you know New Zealand single malt, and the fact that they're leaving it open to not strap themselves to oak but give themselves the opportunity to use native woods just says that that's more flavor right it's nice that that the origin is so familiar to a highland single malt but even Mm -hmm. nicer that they'll be able to play around with some native woods to change up the flavors right and that's that's what it's about for me yeah to me that's the excitement of world single malt yeah is known category known commodity with the barley in this instance and then jumping off points what makes that new zealand what makes that australia what makes that israel what makes that india what makes that sweden i could go on Um, right but it's, it's it's that really interesting jumping off point yeah and you know one of the things i found interesting is for the most part they're dealing with with non X wine casks and Mm. if if people complain because people love to complain if people have any complaints about whiskeys from down there it's that the whiskeys are quite often matured in X wine casks and 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 therefore don't fit their palate now I've had my fair share of Star Wars and I like what they do Mm -hmm. with wine casks the fact that Pocono is is not really leaning on the wine cask and, and leaning more on more traditional casks, but then also some native wood, you know, I think is uh, I, I think it's nice from the standpoint of trying to be appealing to the naysayers. Right. I, yeah. I do like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's rounding out a category, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. rounding down the sharp edges that are perceived by some people. So, yeah, I like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers to Matt. Good luck to Pocono and, and, and our, our friends in New Zealand and our friends in Australia. It's, yeah. it's exciting, isn't it? Yep. Super exciting. Super exciting. Listen, before we go on, because we've got a few things that we need to, to touch on. I think we've got an email, and we also have uh, a Blind Barrels sample that we need to get to, which I'm very Indeed. excited about. I have an empty glass, an empty speed ram single cast nation <laughs> glass right beside me. I'm excited both because it's fun, but also because I could just use a little whiskey across my gums right now. Always. So, you know, Tis the season. Tis the season. So listen, before we get to that, while we don't have a ton of news, there are a few things that I just wanted to to bring up or, or remind our, our listeners is, you know, we had Jess on a couple episodes ago where she was talking about ROW5, mm-hmm. our rest of the world, basically our non-US bottlings. And you should start seeing these bottlings pop up in, in UK online shops and it's starting to hit some of our other export markets as well, some of our other countries too. So 
uh, please keep an eye out for that. Oh, our, our online releases. I think we've, we've basically closed out our online releases for the remainder of this year. We did. Our, our two Wild Turkeys via Lottery have closed out 2023. However, mm-hmm. we do have VDC on the website, Westward, Woodenville, some copper works, the very end of the MacMira, the Good Ride charitable bottling still resides. So there are still still bottles, even though we've, we've concluded the fresh releases. I will say, since we were just talking about the live Westland recording, mm. the Westland, the peated Westland and Pinot de Chiron did sell out via lottery. Yeah. So yeah. That, is, that is gone. Uh, that only exists in the archive now. And we are continuing to ship out mm. those bottles. Thanks to everybody who supported that lottery. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, with the other five bottlings that you mentioned, three of them, the, the Westward, the Woodenville, and the VDC, initially when we launched that, it was one per person. But we've removed that stipulation. So Absolutely. If right? If you're listening to this and you loved the bottle that you received... Or if you want to get a bottle and, and gift it to someone, please go ahead. We, we've got the stock oh, on that's our website. A, oh, that's a lovely idea. Oh, yeah. I like that. We can ship it to the recipient's doorstep. Yeah. Slap it, oh, ship it, lovely. rub it down. Oh, yes. Oh, you've, you've taken it too far. I liked where we were and now I don't. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if I can't ruin it for you. Then, then what am I doing, Jason? Then what's the point? What's the point, <laughs> what's the point of any of this? <laughs> um, um, I, I think that that's it for now, right? News wise? Yeah, I, I would say it's as, as we're talking about closing out 2023, we are already moving stock around the world for early 2024. Aha, so, yes. Yes. This might be an end on 23, but it's only just begun for 2024. You know, you know what I got to tell you? Haida and I were hanging out, um, having a little wine as we do. We've been drinking oh. more and more wine and we're playing right. the Carpenters, right? We've only just begun. <laughs> and, and Haida says, do you know the Carpenters are from East Haven? That's two towns away from me. Wow. There you go. Look at that. Yep. Yep. It's almost like you two are the carpenters. It's almost like, right? And we're back to carpentry and, and your son. <laughs> Full circle. Full circle. <laughs> <laughs> and be- before we move on to the, the blind barrels and, yeah. and we get to, to celebrate uh, Chris Sebas Sebastian and, and his group of, of whiskey friends, mm. um, we received the, the most wonderful email that... I think encapsulates why we do any of this uh, mm. and really speaks to, I think, the, the good camaraderie we had with Matt Johns in the interview as well. And so this was only written as a, as a sharing with Jason, Joshua and Jess. And I wrote the person back, Jesse, another J, to ask if we could use it on One Nation Under Whiskey. Okay. And, and so this, this wasn't written in as a, as a pad cost email, but... It's really good. So and this is from Jesse so James. Jesse's, Jesse Jameson. The Body Ventura. Uh, Jesse Scarborough. So Jesse Scarborough. that's that's uh, Simon and Garfunkel, yeah, isn't it? Scarborough, Scarborough Fair. Fair. Yeah, yeah, checks out. There you go. Parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. Yeah. 
Jesse, keep so, going. We're running out of time, Jason. So Jesse wrote in on November 14 of this year <laughs> and said, <laughs> Hey, JJ and J. I finally opened the Invergarden 46-year-old you put out a few years back. My grandmother, who is 94, decided to enter hospice this week. Hmm. The whole family has come around her in this moment, and we are working day and night to make sure she is comfortable. I plan on sharing drams of the Invergarden with my family and with her whole caretaking team soon. And I wanted you to know what it I and I wanted you to know that it means a great deal to me to be able to do so with a spirit worthy of the occasion. The whiskey world is replete with many things these days. But I firmly believe it's sharing a well-cared-for dram with loved ones that lies at the heart of what the whole experience can be. So Mm. thank you sincerely for helping me do so. Here's to Joe Holen. That's H-O-L-E-N. Here's to Joe Holen, my grandmother, and to a long life well-lived. Slange. Jesse. Oh my gosh. That's that really is that's that's truly special. Isn't and it? and uh you know I'm easy to tears. So I I hope that uh Jesse, I hope that um as she passes it's it's easy and that you're you're all there with her. It's it's clear she's a, a special woman and um thank you for incorporating the special whiskey with the staff and with your family and, and honoring your grandmother with it. That really is a special thing. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's so incredibly special to be in that type of moment for a family. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, there's a little SCN bottle sitting on a table next to a family going yeah. through that type of end of life experience yeah remarkable yeah. um after i'd i'd asked jesse if it was okay to share and 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 jesse had written back to say we'd be honored her name is joe Holland, and she was born one month before the great depression in september of 1929 oh my gosh and and goes on she is genuinely well loved by all who know her Thank you for the kindness, and also, as always, thank you for the whiskey. Well, thank you, Jesse. That's really a special. There you go. Yeah, cheers to Jesse, cheers to Joe Holland, and we will get some whiskey in our glasses right now and do a right proper now. toast to <laughs> Jesse's grandmother. Okay. With blind barrels, if I'm being honest, you know, we're, we're a bit late in this. We wanted to, to get through some of these samples quicker than we have been. I think the last time we did a blind barrels tasting was, was at least four episodes ago. So I'm glad we're getting back into it. On that previous episode, we did sample A. And I don't know if it was because we were going to go A, B, C, D, or if it was random, <laughs> but... Does it make sense to just uh, go to sample B? 
I think so. Okay. B for blind and barrels. Ah. Okay. And and if if memory serves, and memory usually doesn't serve, if we're being honest, Jason. Uh, if memory serves, I was the one who did the reading of the things this time around. So I'd like to continue with that tradition. <laughs> Makes not a lick of sense. Um, I, I can't find the envelopes. The so I was going to request that you do the reveal. Yeah, because the first time we did... The first four, you did all the reveals, and this time around, I'm going to do the reveals. I don't think that's true. I think we swapped off uh, episode to episode who did the reveal. Yeah, you could be right, but here we are. Oh, (laughs) instantly crafty, so let's see where this goes. (laughs) Okay. I have no idea where where I've put the envelope. Uh, so there, there isn't so many an places I'm filing in here. There's a QR code that we scan. Oh, they'll, that'll save me losing my mind looking for the envelope later. So yeah. that's good news. Okay, awesome. Um, all right. So let's pick this up. So <laughs> uh, first of all, Joshua. Yeah. And a blind barrel sample bottle beside. I will say cheers to Joe Holland. And to Jesse Scarborough and their family. May her memory be a blessing. May her pain be lessened. Mm. Cheers. Cheers to that. There you go. There you go. There you go. <sighs> okay. Wonderfully oily in the glass. Mm-hmm. Very rich oils reaching halfway up my <laughs> single gas nation branded glass. Um, good color. Yeah. yeah. Would you would you say a, a dark amber or a rich amber, a, a burnt ochre? Yeah, I, I'd, I'd say rich amber. You know, it definitely doesn't look as dark. I wouldn't say it's bourbon color, <laughs> you know, but it but it's getting there. I, I Yeah. If I were to guess, I, I would say this is a from smell alone. It's clear it's some sort of American craft distillate. And then from color alone, I would guess that it's, you know, slightly younger. That the, that, or, or potentially a lower char or something like that that isn't giving you, you know, that heavy bourbon color. Do you have a haziness to the liquid? Uh, now that you mention it, yeah. There's a bit of a haze to it. I wasn't sure if it was maybe a, a cooler temperature. We're quite, we are 37 Fahrenheit right. in, uh, in Bridgewater, Virginia this day. Hmm. Uh, my office is 68 Fahrenheit oh, this man. day. And so I, I wasn't sure if I was maybe getting a little chilled haze on it uh, from, the, from the temperature. Chilled haze all through my brain. That was the but, original lyrics but, to Purple Haze. It's chilled haze. But given that you're sitting in your house in a tank top and short shorts, I figured <laughs> that there would be no uh, chilled haze on, on your whiskey. Yeah. Based it's, on it's, temperature. It, it's you, without a doubt, you know, this is not crystal clear liquid. There's some sort of very fine particulate 
particulate particulate uh, in here that that is causing a slight slight cloud. Yep. All right. Yeah, I've got that. I've got that fresh green sticks mm-hmm. or fresh green branches note on the nose. Also has a little bit of that plasticine play-doh, mm. uh, sometimes window putty kind of note uh, that I might get in a smaller cask or in a in a craft situation. Yeah, it's it's clear, you know, the the grain is doing one thing, the wood seems to be doing the other. They're not necessarily, at least on the nose, they're not necessarily having the same conversation. Yeah, in in really sticking with it, really focusing on the nose, maybe a little bit of cinnamon coming through, but sure. a, a softer cinnamon, not really a spicy cinnamon, more of a kind of a, a woodsy cinnamon. Yeah, and there's a a slightly bitter element to the nose. And I don't know if mm-hmm. that's wood-driven, mm-hmm. but it reminds me, I don't know if you've ever had um, apricot seeds. They kind of look like almonds, but they're they're quite mm. a bit, bit more bitter and they sting you on the tongue a bit. But it has that sort of apricot seed kind of the smell of the taste, if you will. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was starting to maybe think almond skins. Oh, okay. Yeah, I wouldn't. With that, buy that, just that little bit of bitter to it. Yeah. All right. You ready to get it on the palate? See if this oily texture lives, lives on the tongue also. Well, you you go ahead and sip it. I want to keep on nosing this. I want to. Mm. You know, I it's <laughs> I I often when I nose a craft whiskey, I often dismiss it out of hand, and and I don't. I want to get out of that habit. Because the producers are obviously proud of, of what they're doing, and I want to see what it is about this whiskey that they're saying, you know, I, this, this is a representation. I, I want to show people what this is, so I want to dig a little deeper on the nose while you taste it. Well, and, and that's actually why I wanted to get it across the palate, because sometimes the palate will then open up the olfactory system as well, mm-hmm. and they'll add mm-hmm. uh, nose components, nose notes. I will say the liquid when I brought it to my mouth is cold. So I did the old warehouse, sit it on the tongue for three, four, five seconds, let it warm up. Um, I'm cupping it in closed hands right now uh, to to raise that temperature on it as well. So So I've I've had my first sip. Mine isn't as cold as yours, but... It, now the temperature you keep your house at. Go easy. Good. So listen, someone's <laughs> got to wear tank tops and flip flops. Um, summer loving had me a blast. Um, yeah, you know, across the palate, the alcohol seems quite low on this, though there mm-hmm. is a bit of prickle going on, a little bit of spice, some oak-driven spice going on here, or, or at least I think it's some oak-driven spice. I don't know if there's, you know, some raw... It's clearly an American craft whiskey. I, th- I think we can likely agree that that's what it is. The, the signs point in that direction mm-hmm. for me. Do you mm-hmm. get, as much as we're talking about that green branch note on the nose that can, can speak to, mm-hmm. to craft and, and can speak to smaller barrels, do you have that 
continuing on the palate? Is there anything on the palate that would make you say, hmm, that that might be smaller barrel or, or has it relaxed a little on the palate for you? It's relaxed a little. I, I feel I feel as if the nose was a bit disjointed. On the palate, the flavors really come together, and I would argue in quite a nice way. However, the alcohol just seems so low on this that that it just feels flabby. You know, it it just mm. it's a bit flaccid. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's flaccid across the palate, Jason. I would, I would agree with that. I, I, I will say though that that note you're talking about about the oak spice, mm-hmm. I find that that gives a little kind of burst around the edges of the mm-hmm. tongue, mm-hmm. and it's interesting, you know, thinking back to last week's extra extra, where we're talking about the Canadian Club mm. versus other Canadian rye. Uh-huh. Canadian Club had that kind of singular hum to it. Yeah. But other Canadian whiskies with rye in them have these kind of jumping off points, these yeah. kind of spicy moments. And, and that's what I've got yeah. here. There's kind of a singular hum to it. Yeah. But then a little bit of that oak spice yeah. lifting the experience. Yeah, it's like that. There's a bit of it that just wants to get out. And, and I wonder... Mm-hmm. You know, again, we don't know the ABV on this just yet, but I wonder. My my guess is is that this is forty three ish, forty to forty three percent ABV, as a guess. And if this were at forty six percent or more, some of those notes that you're talking about may want to be like, and here I am. However, I do wonder if it was a conscious decision to bring the ABV down so as to bring the overall flavors together a bit more. Mm, yeah, yep, yep, a very worthwhile thought. Right. Um, grain, yeah. do, you, do you think it's a singular grain? Do you think it's a mash bill? Do you think there's a particular grain leading the charge here? I want to say if this is a craft distillery that's looking to offer up a broad spectrum of flavors then from a mash bill standpoint, they're likely going to do some sort of a mixed mash bill that's probably at least four grains. Okay, four. Can I discern (laughs) what they are? Uh, I think there's probably a bit of rye in there, and I hope hope that I'm right. But yeah, you know, you think of... You think of these smaller craft distilleries, and it's it's quite common for them to say, this is a four-grain bourbon, right? This is a four-grain insert whiskey type here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is funny you're saying that because before, as I was asking you the question about grain and, and mash bill, I was actually thinking about the journeyman four-grain whiskey that they put out. Mm-hmm. And it's soft and it's approachable, very easy drinking. Yeah, um, Hudson or Tuttletown had a four grain bourbon as well back when the Arenzos owned the distillery. I, I don't know who owns it now. I think William Grant owns it now. Mm. So I, I I don't know what. Yeah, the William lineup. Grant. Yeah. yeah. But I remember really enjoying their their four grain, even though it was crafty. It was crafty done right. I, I've always liked. The, the Hudson stuff. I've, I've reached that stage of every blind tasting where I'm just staring at my glass <laughs> and staring at the liquid in it and asking it, what are you? 
What do you know? So the 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 <clears throat> initial question for you is is do you like it? Or okay, let me let me let me rephrase that question. <laughs> Be, because 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 here it is, right? And and I think I would say this too. There are aspects of this whiskey that I really quite enjoy. That's the exact answer. That's right? the exact yeah, right. Absolutely. So so what do you like about this whiskey? What is it? What is it getting right? I like that little bit of spice whether that be rye spice or that be oak spice mm. those little jumping off moments are keeping my attention i'm mm. returning and asking follow-up questions about that at the same time and this is to the point you had made previously at a higher abv i think it would have yeah. more high notes it would have more jumping off points yeah and so if if i was to say i don't like this i would really be saying this isn't my jam at this strength mm, yeah, and i yeah. i if this distillery had a product with a bit more oomph i'd be willing to explore that product to see what story it might tell yeah, there was there was a movie or a TV show or perhaps in a book I read where the the scene is basically with with an ape or a gorilla, right? That's been caged. And it's been caged <laughs> so long that the caretakers can open up the door and he won't try to escape, right? And that's what this seems. It, it feels like this whiskey's been a bit too tamed by water. Mm -hmm. Like the the ape is still mm -hmm. there, the gorilla is still there, but it's it's kind of given up, right? It's just kind of doing its thing. And there's nice bits to it, but uh, yeah, I think it's just been held down a bit too much by too much water, as a guess. Yeah, we we don't have qualms about the spirit as much access as we're able to gain yeah. to it. Yeah. And we don't seem to have many concerns about the wood, even though from the nose seemed like it could have been smaller barrel. Palette doesn't seem to be saying smaller barrel. Yeah. Um, and so we're, we're not necessarily you know, got problems with the wood either. I think the taming seems yeah. like yeah. the the issue of of the day so all right all right all right give us a give us a, a qr code reveal here okay so sample b just before you do <laughs> so just before yeah. you do uh, yeah. i think you already read it you know to be clear i'm still thinking about the santa fe that we had as sample a oh yeah that was that great remains like yeah. Yeah. out of this world and i discussed it with amanda beckwith uh, the last time I was down at, at Virginia Distillery mm. Company and she was just waxing lyrical about Santa Fe mm. and was saying, you know, I was listening along and I was so excited, actually a bit like my conversation with Kai about Le Big Lebowski. She was listening along thinking like, I'm so excited that you're getting to experience Santa Fe for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. that's a great place to be. And so I, I still think about that sample. Uh, sample B, we are... We're yeah. not going to yeah. Listen, I've, have that I've, relationship. I've thought about this a few times. I may be a Jew, but Santa Fe can come down my chimney anytime. 
that particular Santa wants to. Um, so. I didn't expect that. That's why I'm chuckling. Like, that was completely unexpected. Santa Fe. So, um. <laughs> I am. I'm not going to. Di- I'm not going to release the distillery yet. Oh, okay. I will release the name first. So not the distillery, but the name of the bottling. The name mm-hmm. of the bottling: Four Grain Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Hmm. <laughs> there you go. Nice one. Nice uh, one. Good. Age statement: good. a minimum of two years, which makes sense to be a straight. Yep. Checks out. Bourbon, a straight rye, straight anything within U.S. spirits, minimum of two years. Mash bill, 60% corn, 20% mm-hmm. wheat, 9% mm-hmm. rye, and 11% mm-hmm. malted barley. Yep, now, there, there is a parenthetical comment that says, all grown in blank. Okay. The same state as the distillery building? Yes, and I'm not going to give. I'm not. I'm not giving the the state. Um, okay. Appearance slash color, reflexive copper. I, I think. I think they oh. ran into the same uh, autocorrect <laughs> as we run ran into, which is. I guess it should be reflective <laughs> copper. Yes. You ready for the tasting notes? Absolutely. Aroma, lemon. Watermelon candy, spearmint tea, black pepper, and waxy. So waxiness on the nose. They they love their minty nosies. Yeah. This is yeah. not the first time we've heard uh, mint family from Blind Barrels. Let the record show I have poured a second sample. Uh, <laughs> still the same sample. Still sample B. I haven't done samples, but I have, <laughs> I have poured sample B a second time as I as I listen to their notes, which I always hope people do with our notes. And yeah. I know my yeah. Palouse Society do and rip us new ones because they're mm-hmm. nasty human beings and <laughs> snobs of the worst order. So tasting notes: floral, candied lime, grapefruit, pepper. And a hint of vanilla. Okay. Okay. Oh, you the, know the what? The pepper, I, I think, speaks to to what we were saying about the wood and and you know some of the cinnamon we talked about and the oak spice. I'll tell you though that watermelon candy note. It's that it's that fake <laughs> watermelon. It's so perfect because it's not real watermelon. It's just like you know they can't so, perfect banana as a flavor. It's that fake. So, so a Jolly Rancher, right? A watermelon Jolly Rancher. Yeah, or or like a watermelon bubble yum gum, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gosh, I remember yeah. my family in Dallas used to bring over the <laughs> the grape and the watermelon bubblicious. Yeah. Oh, bubblicious. Like, yeah. This is amazing. Like it didn't taste like anything on earth, um, but <laughs> it was. Oh, it was a hell of an experience for a kid in Scotland. Uh, finish pleasantly drying, short with mild spice and a backdrop of sweetness. So now, now I'm going to read their take. While many mm-hmm. distilleries are sourcing their ingredients that make their whiskey from many different areas <laughs> all across the world, the admirable thing mm-hmm. about Black Button Distillery is that ah, all the factors that go into the bottle come directly from New York, from the state of New York, from the water to the grain, mm-hmm. even the barrels they age the whiskey in. 
Jason Barrett and the Black Button team utilize all the advantages of the region and try to transport the drinker to a New York state of mind in this excellent four-grain spirit. Mm. So there you go. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. I, I will say from the very beginning with Black Button, we have talked experimental with them mm-hmm. and we've talked rye with them mm-hmm. uh, especially empire rye and then yeah. you know we talk about experimental last time you and i were on site we had the the smoked corn oh yeah bourbon yeah that was brilliant that, that is yep. cracking absolutely cracking so what what is the stated abv on this so is it state- 90 proof uh, I don't even know if it's that high. What's the ABV on it? It is... 80, pr- uh, 80 proof? So I'm not going to give you proof because, you know, I fucking hate proof. 42% alcohol. So yeah, there, there you, you go. go. I mean, right, it, it's, a, it's at this ABV. It makes me think of, of Wild Turkey 81, right? Which is, it's meant to be a whiskey for mixing. So I wonder if that is the the purpose of this to be that that well bourbon that that you know that mixing bourbon that's got a bit of spice yeah. to yeah. it maybe a bit of mint that they're talking about to make just a solid easy drinking old fashioned or something like that which was the point that I that I wanted to make you and I own plenty of black button bottles oh, we yeah. don't own this bottle no and the reason we don't own this bottle is exactly what we said during the blind tasting. It's too soft. It's too tame. I want more grain. Mm-hmm. I want more spice. I want more black button presence in yeah. my glass. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I would argue too, you know, I, I, do, I, I always liked what Michael Jackson, the, the beer and whiskey writer said, which is, you know, you always want to say good, there's always something good to be said about the drink in your hand. So I don't want to to crap on this. However, this is the first black button experience I've had where I found at least on the nose cuz cuz I think, you know, we both agreed on the palate everything came together, but on the nose it seemed disjointed. And I've always found bl- um blind barrels. I always found black buttons whiskies to be very well integrated despite them using you know some smaller barrels as well so you know is is it an age thing i i don't i don't know what it is would the, this would make for a killer old-fashioned just an easy drink and bring some friends over make a pitcher of old-fashioned and and just have a night you know yeah yeah i'm glad that we could still identify the texture of it even at that 42-something percent. Mm-hmm. I'm glad the oils are still there. To, to your point, you're on the tasting, right? Non-chill filtered. Just yeah. just watered down to that point. So, yeah, yeah I, I think if, if, this is, if this is your jam, you're going to be very happy with it. For me, it's, it's just not my jam, and I'm, I'm happy to... I'm happy for Black Button to sell to people who aren't me because I am but one man and I cannot prop up an entire distillery by myself. Not with that attitude. (laughs) (laughs) Tell you what, though, it has me thinking, Okay, what Black Button am I pouring right after this? (laughs) Because I... (laughs) 
I'm going to grab our black and button right now. I was going to say in my office, theirs is, uh, ours is the only one of theirs I have. Oh, you know what? I have their Castorinth bourbon. I'm going to grab that. Oh, there you go. There you go. So this one's a minimum of four years in 30-gallon barrels. So that that's sort of their, their barrel size of choice. And batch number eight, 58% alcohol. And Jason, I don't know if you realized this, but as I as I go over the label and I, you know, my sleuthing eyes, I put I put my elf eyes on here and I notice both on the bottom front label and on the back label this is OU certified this is a kosher bourbon I feel like we've had that that conversation with them on site yeah 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 I just I I guess I don't I didn't remember that but there you go for our for our kosher keeping drinkers listeners out there you know, if if a kosher stated whiskey is is something that you look for, then Black Button is definitely going to be up your alley. So so there you go. Oh, I like that. It's from a peeps. Yeah, look at look at this. You and I step into cast strength, and we're back in our safe places. Yeah. Like this this has got that oak that we were getting on the four grain, but dialed up to to ten, if not eleven. Um, you know, so rich. Some of the the nuttiness I was oh. getting um, uh, from the that four grain from them is mm-hmm. is right here as well. So, yeah, I'm, yeah, it's the <laughs> I'm, in, <it's> just, <laughs> I'm in my safe place. Yeah. So this is um, at least the one the one that I'm having here is uh, is the same mash bill. It's New York State corn, wheat, rye, and malted barley. So same uh, okay. mash bill, but instead of being uh, minimum two years old as a, as a straight bourbon, this is minimum four years old, and you're looking at 58% alcohol. Um, everything just jives. Everything is interlocked, intertwined, interwoven, and it just sings. This is great bourbon. Do you get any, because you're dealing with the same mash bill and the same yeast, Whereas our our release was different mash bill and different yeast, mm-hmm. are you getting any of that nose that we had, that green branches that we had on the nose? Are you getting any of that in your cast strength black button? No, I'm not because I, you know I think part of the reason that we got that is at least on the nose that the grain and the wood were not integrated, and here they're clearly integrated, and so. Everything sort of combined, sort of Voltroned itself between between the, mm-hmm. the grains in the wood. And so now it's that that green sort of branches it's it's heavier, it's darker, it's earthier. You know, this is this is almost like an autumnal bourbon where you know where where we were getting bright and fresh. This is heavy and, and dark. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. earthen floors, like just really, really nice. Ooh. There you go. <laughs> yep, no complaints there. So good times, man. Good times.
so listen again you know huge thanks to uh christopher sebastian aka seabass uh and the rest of the team at blind barrels for for sending these off so so we've gone through sample a we've gone through sample b so we've got c and d remaining you think we could do that before the year is out jason i think so i think so well Maybe not all of them, because we've actually got another couple of samples came in that will make it onto the next episode. Oh, so. that's true. That's true. So, yeah, we, we might be closing out Blind Barrels in the new year, but we will definitely get it done in season seven. Yeah. Well, listen, regardless, <laughs> regardless of us either liking or disliking or not connecting with these with this whiskey, the fact that you get to just explore it without any any information that is fun that is the thing with blind barrels or not just blind barrels i don't want to sound like we're a commercial for blind barrels though we totally you know appreciate that them sending samples off but being able to blind to explore something blindly and kind of feel a, a bit vulnerable and like ooh, am i going to say the wrong thing and that's okay because it allows you to learn your palate and and you know both you and i are pretty bad at 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 blind tasting so so it's you know we're 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 (laughs) i'm glad we got four grain today (laughs) i'll I'll just pat myself on my back with that one oh we're not patting ourselves on the back all right i didn't say that about you you agreed with me you agreed with me it's amazing when the ship's going down, it's us, and when the ship's <laughs> rising, it's you. Wow, what a captain. <laughs> wow. Wow, we learned something about Joshua today. I hope that's uh, valuable to you listeners going forward. So, Okay. All right. That's a victory for Joshua. Mark that yep, up. Yep, Good job, Joshua. Yep. America. I'm really impressed with you this USA. day. Yeah, well done. America. USA. Well USA. done, America. There we go. <laughs> International listeners, just drop your private messages to info at singlecastnation.com. Really appreciate it. All right. Let's get out of here on that silliness. All right. Oh, is that it? That's the end? Yeah, that is the end. All right. Well, huge thanks again to to Matt Johns uh, for, for taking out the time to talk to us from the future. Thanks again to, to Jesse Scarborough. Um, and, and our hearts really do go out to you and, and your family and your grandmother. And, and then, of course, to, to Christopher Sebastian and the team at Blind Barrels. You really help to make these episodes a ton of fun add some new spice and mm. flavor to to what we do here so we raise our glass to you all and hey listen if if you want to be like jesse or some of the other people that write into us you can email us questions at one nation under you could also email us info at singlecastnation.com and uh hey if you like the podcast if you love the podcast then please go ahead, give us some, you know, five stars on, on Apple. Say some nice things. If you, you know, if you leave a comment, we will read that comment on the podcast here and, and make sure we're, we're name checking you. So, so please go ahead and do that. And I guess on that, Jason, we shall get out of here on saying, what do we say? What do we do? Do we say cheers? Do we say peace? Uh, I'm kind of digging peace these days. All of the above. All of the things to all of the people all around the globe. Cheers. 
Cheers. Peace. Peace. Out of here.